My voice sounds raspy to you a little bit. A little different than normal, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was yelling and screaming. People don't think I'm a Seahawks fan. They think I'm a Dolphins fan. Well, you could be both, right? I was pissed off. I was yelling and screaming at the TV at the Linwood location. Thanks for joining us at the Linwood location (laughs) of Zeke's Pizza. I really appreciate (laughs) you being with us. And I and what I was and I'm, talent and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. There's no talent fees. This is not radio. This <laughs> well, is poor man's radio. Okay, fair. What are enough. you talking about? And <laughs> it was great to see you at Taco Time on Tuesday for your tacos. Which, by the way, we get two more freebies. Everybody gets two tacos at all Taco Time locations on Tuesday. Why? Because Russell Wilson decided to run twice for yes. touchdowns yes he sure did that's right so that means taco tuesday all right maybe yes maybe you got it you got to download the app okay you can order ahead if you'd like that's their new thing okay you don't have to stand in line because you were you were complaining on 57p that you didn't go for the free taco on this last tuesday because you were just too busy too right busy. yeah i couldn't get which out. is not a fair ex- like taco times like they're grinning they're chuckling at you because yeah. you can just Press a button, it could be ready for you. Problem when solved. When you get there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this week, Taco Tuesday at Taco Time, because uh, if they rush in, they rush in for a touchdown, you get tacos and Russ Wilson. So the first week, Chris Carson won us a taco. The second week in Pittsburgh, Rashad Penny won us a free taco. Everybody gets free tacos at all locations. So cool. And then the, and then the third week, we get two from the quarterback. Is it? And I, I don't even know why I'm starting here because I want, I want to save this. Yeah. But is it my imagination or is he running more? Is he looking more to run this year, early in the year, than he has in like the last three years? Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure it out, too. I think we discussed that, at least for me, it looks like he decides to run when he has to, when, like when they're losing. So maybe that was it, just because they were down for most of the game. I, for the first I didn't three, feel like I'm talking much. three weeks now. Yeah, I didn't I'm feel telling like you, you I'm telling Cincinnati. you, I have noticed in the past oh. few years that he has been really, really reluctant yeah. to run the football. I don't think he was healthy in a couple of those years. I think he was hiding injury. Yeah. I think he was sore. I think he was beaten down from the – from the preseason on, he looks much more ready to run in scramble opportunities and and keeping the ball, even though, you know, a lot of those keepers, because he just doesn't have the the oomph that he used to have, they don't result in 40, 50-yard runs. They, they're they more like four- or five-yard runs, but I don't even know why I'm bringing that up. We haven't started the show, and I didn't even want to bring it up. How was your weekend? I wish I would have been a ballet fan today. Oh, God, I haven't. <laughs> the first line, much easier <laughs> Being a fan yeah. of the ballet, I say this all the time. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know we're going to talk about that later. This isn't really the start of the show, right? No, we haven't the started the show. Yeah. My weekend was great. I was in Burbank, got back uh, Sunday morning. Da, so. da, da, yeah, da, da, <laughs> you know it. Now, did you? Do we find out that you were like completely wrong about where it was recorded? I don't know. Did, so, did, there's I been like got 10 iterations of the show. Yeah, some guy trying to try to rain on my parade. <laughs> I swear to you, it was they said from Burbank, California. All right, so it's episode 58, Hot Shots Got, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Mitch Unfiltered. People complaining, by the way, about Google Podcasts. I'm getting lots of complaints. Hey, your link's not working. I don't even know what that means. Oh, is that right? Here's what I know. I have, do I have an Apple device? Uh, you do not. Okay, and how do I listen to Mitch Unfiltered when I listen to Mitch Unfiltered? Well, I'm guessing with Apple Podcasts. Google, no, I don't have an Apple device. 
So I wouldn't be listening on Apple Podcasts if I don't have an Apple device. You could own iTunes, but it's a whole thing. Forget it. Whatever. Really? Yeah. See, you're going you're gonna to like... You can. Like, I can go to iTunes on I my have, Microsoft device if I wanted shot. to. I have Google Podcasts. <laughs> okay. Downloaded on my phone. Yeah. I get it every week like Snap. Yeah. It's perfect. It, okay. And it really treats me well. And yet I go to the Twitter and I get people complaining, Google Podcasts isn't working. So, I, again... I'm 52, not 22. It's working for me. Tough shit if it's not working for you. <laughs> I don't know. What, no, I mean, I don't want to say it like that because I want people to listen. But right. it's Google. Po- I, and, and every time somebody writes me, Google Podcast is not working. Yeah. Your link's not working. I send them a screenshot of my phone <laughs> right. where I'm listening to the most updated episode of Mitch Unfiltered. It's a sad day when they're asking you for tech help. It's, it really says a lot about them, doesn't it? No, it's a sad day about what this says about me. Yeah. Where yeah. am I in my life? Yeah. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. You're I was actually, I was actually when, when, and we'll get here because we haven't started the show yet. When Chip, Chip Kelly was losing by 32 points mm-hmm. to Washington State, I actually went to write a tweet. This is a true story. Let you behind the scenes of my mind. Oh, yeah. I went to write a, I, I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, Self, Chip Kelly is the coach of UCLA. They're not going to win a. They're not going to win three games this year. Four years ago, he was like. I mean, what a what a difference for you. He was he was the Pied Piper. Yep. Everybody in the world, NFL teams wanted him. Maybe it's not four years ago, but whatever. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. He was like the, the the one of the most popular, most sought after yep. coaches. You know, he was an incredibly genius mind genius. on offense. And four years later, he's the he's a crap sandwich. This is of course before they decided to hang fifty on your Washington State Cougars. Yeah. In a second. And when I the point I was going to rate is because you were saying isn't it isn't it it's sad when people are asking me for, <laughs> yeah. and I so I started to write boy what a difference a few years make when it comes to Chip Kelly yeah. and then I realized and me too. <laughs> Yeah, he tweeted the same thing later about you. I don't know if you saw it or not, but speak for yourself, uh, big boy. Me too. Yeah, I was like, I got to be careful what I write yeah, because right. I'm, I'm, I'm right with Chip and I are like we were, we were big for you five That's years right. ago. Chip and Mitch. That's right. And now back to back national championship games for you. And I your can't life. even get a sandwich. Right. People think I'm going to be the new morning show host on ESPN Radio 710. I can't. If they did a, if they did a sports radio, if my family did a sports radio station. <laughs> From here in the house, I wouldn't get the morning show right. on that station. Let's start with an internship, Mitch, and see where that goes. Right? Okay, let's start with an internship. Would you tell us if that station called and and where it was was interested interested in you? Would you tell us, or would you? Of course, I would. You would? Okay, I don't know. Well, I, well, if they told me not to, I wouldn't. Okay, but I'm telling you right now that nobody's called me. Nobody's interested. Trust me, and I'm not interested in going back. I told you this yeah, about yeah. morning show radio. I'm not living that lifestyle ever again. I did it for 22 years. That's enough. And they're going to go on. Believe me. Believe me. That station wants no... There's a lot of reasons. I I think we can go into these like on a patron show or something. Okay. There's a lot of reasons why that station doesn't want any part of me. It starts with the ownership. Do you know who owns that station? I was going to say, I worked there for a couple years, and I feel like I know the owners are a little conservative. Is that kind of... Well, it's the Mormon church. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Religious. And yeah, Yeah. I did know that. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. Never mind. You're out. That's all you had to say. I needed you to tell me this. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we can laugh because you people used to tell me, and it used to actually kind of disappoint me and sadden me about the morning show. You know, I used I, I used to do a morning show. I used to do a radio show. Terrestrial? 
terrestrial radio, oh, okay. um, something between like 1,000 and 800 on the dial. Mm-hmm. And we would do these great shows or these – we would really work hard on all these shows after Seahawks games on Mondays. And when they lose, we'd work really, really hard to do a great assessment. And what would I hear from people? I can't listen. Sorry. Right. I'm not listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not listening. I, I, I don't I'm want one of those people. Okay. But, I can't watch football like that same night when the, the Seahawks like lose. Like Sunday night football's out because yeah, you're, you're it miserable. Yeah, it hurts. I feel like – and I'm just going to put a positive spin on the podcast. Here's another way where the podcast is more, mm. what's the word? More comforting, more comfortable. When I was doing a four-hour show after a Seahawks, like if I were doing a morning show on Monday after the Seahawks lose to the Saints, I would essentially be told, although they didn't have to tell me, you just keep doing the same. You, you, tell, you bitch and moan about it, bitch and moan about it, cry about it, and then you do that again in the second hour, and then you do that again in the third because you got different people right, listening. Sure. You, so you really can't do anything but bitch and moan. And I feel like, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm pipe dreaming, I'm a pipe dreamer here. I feel like the podcast gives us an opportunity to assess, to point some fingers for me to be very unfiltered, and I'm going to be on this, on this episode. But then that's it. We'll have the Brady Henderson on from ESPN, ESPN.com. He'll tell us about injuries and look ahead to next week against the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. But then I don't have to repeat it. We can go on and talk to New Heisel. We can, I'm doing a segment on, on this episode about streaming video. Are you a streaming? Are you young enough to be a streamer? Streaming like Netflix? Are you a Netflix guy? I could not love it anymore. I love Netflix, Amazon Prime. I got it all. Yeah. I got the wall. So I was reading a story earlier in the week. Did, you probably saw this that Netflix paid $500 million for Seinfeld. Did you read this? I did see that because the TBS More, runs is going. They said no, it's coming to- no, it has nothing to do with TBS. Let me teach you about that. Okay. TBS is, is syndicated. Right. So TBS is also losing it. Right. They lost it to Viacom. That's the television oh, okay. syndication. Gotcha. I thought maybe TBS they lost They stole it, it from Hulu. Oh, interesting. Hulu, so so who listen to this. Hulu paid $120 million over five years for the exclusive streaming rights to all episodes of Seinfeld. That was five years ago. It, it expires in 21. So now there's a bidding war, and apparently Netflix just lost The Office, and somebody else lost Friends, or maybe it was Netflix lost Friends. Crazy. So what was $120 million over five years for Seinfeld five years ago, they just had the bidding last week, Wall Street Journal reported, that Netflix won the bidding because they felt like they had to after losing to The, the Office yeah. and Friends, and they paid over $500 million. Jeez. And I, it dawned on me at that moment that I don't know anything about... My kids love Netflix. I have to keep getting these services because yeah. they... And they're sitting on their phones or whatever. They love it. They watched every episode of The Office, which was weird yeah, watching yeah. my 13-year-old well, watch heard, every episode of The Office. And their kid, I've heard kids are watching The Office now because it's on... Net, like, they had no idea that show even existed. Right. And they're loving it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like... It, but but my thought was, oh my God, I know Netflix. I like watch the David Letterman thing. He's got a few shows on my there. next guest. And I, yeah, and I watch the Seinfeld comedians in cars. I think that's yeah, yeah. on Netflix. Yep. So I know Netflix a little bit. Okay. But I'm sitting there, five hundred million for one show. Yeah. An old show that hasn't made a new episode. For, so how much are they paying? For content, they've got mil- a thousand shows, right? Yeah, it's like an old joke. Like they give away four thousand comedy specials a year, you know. Like so, that prompted me to say, I got to get the guy on from the Wall Street Journal on this episode. I need yeah. to be taught about that cutthroat business. And he was on. He, I did an interview with him, and I just it was like enlightening, like how 
I mean, and there's two new ones, three new ones coming out. New, I mean, it is new a, platforms. It, yeah, it is a vicious competition yeah. for programming. They are all in, and you know who sits back and says, "This is great." Jerry, I'm happy he Keep landed on his feet. I'm happy he's getting a couple bucks for Keep once in his ring life. Ring in the bell, Larry David. Yeah, right. Oh my God. George Costanza, nothing. Right. Michael, Cosmo Kramer, Michael Richards, nothing. Out. Racist jokes. That's that's all he's got. Julia Louis, not big, my, big part of the show. I mean, show. they get a little. I think they get, but like the owners of the show, yeah. just it's just unbelievable. It's more Porsches, more right. antique cars. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Five hundred million, and they've already done three billion in what you're talking about, which is the the, the syndication, like, the syndication yeah. on regular TV. So but, I. Have you heard about Disney has a new platform? Too? Yeah, we Did, talk about it on this. About yeah, it. I yeah, didn't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're like starting to pull their stuff. Like, we're going to exclusively stream it's it on like, our platform. Yeah. Everyone's just going to have their own. There's going to be a ton of streaming I mean, you're like the Big Bang Theory, and everybody wants you. Like, right. it's syndication it's really used to be a lot of money. <laughs> Wait till Netflix gets their hands it's on you. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So we do a segment on that. That's so interesting. So what I'm saying is, is that episode 58, which is about to begin, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Mitch Unfiltered, and even Google Music or Google Podcasts, because I listen to it. Listen, subscribe, rate us on Apple. Um, I'm saying that we're going to do our Seahawks. Yeah. We're going to stick it to them. We're going to smash their heads, yeah. and the coaching staff in particular. Good. Okay. But after we do that, we're going to do other things. And if, yeah, if it hurts, New you can fast forward. Yeah. yeah. New Heisel. So I, I, that's my, my overall theory is the podcast format allows people who don't like to to uh, harp on the Seahawks' losses, it allows them to listen to a little bit, fast forward, and go to some other things. And love we'll it. laugh. Yeah. I love it. It's great. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off, as we get ready for episode 58, with what I'm calling, I wrote it down here, I want to file a social situation verbal catchphrase protest. Social situation, verbal catchphrase. Something protest. that's been said for ye- for the last like five to four to five or six years. Somewhere along the line, somebody decided to say something that now everybody says. They even type it on, and I'm and I'm now, I'm done. I'm done with. You're it. out. And I might okay. punch somebody if you if you <laughs> find a. I might punch somebody in the nose. The next person who says it to me. I need to know what this is now. Okay. I went for a swim. I was an empty nester. We were empty nesters oh. this weekend. First time we've, we we didn't know what that was all about. Yeah. Both boys went away for the weekend. Different places or together? Same place. Okay. To a camp for the a retreat. So we found out what it's like to be empty nesters. I went on a hike. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm sore. We went on a hike. We went to an actual an adult movie. Not not an I know what a, you mean. Not an adult yes. adult movie, but yeah. an adult movie. We went to I'm see Morgan Freeman as the president. I'd like to tell you about that at some point. I really enjoyed good. it. This guy Gerard Butler played oh, a secret service, a secret service guy who protects Morgan Freeman, who's the president. And there's an assassination attack, and the the, the people that at, that set up the assassination framed his right, framed the oh, secret the service Gerard guy. Butler guy. Yeah, oh, okay, that's a and good premise. And he's on the run trying yeah. to prove that he didn't do it. It's, Great, it's nice. It's nice. But I even I went for a swim. I went for a little exercise. I've been swimming, and I and I dipped my foot in the pool to, to go into the pool. There's two pools where I normally swim. One was closed off because something happened to the pool. Yeah. Not sure exactly what happened to the pool. <laughs> but the other pool was cold, and I dipped my toe, and I was like, oh, my God. I said, that's freezing. And the person that's about to swim in the next lane to me says, 
I know, right? And I got in the pool. This is no joke. What I'm about to tell you is not an exaggeration. (laughs) I then swam 50 laps, 55 laps in about a half hour. The entire time with my goggles on, I thought about that phrase. (laughs) All 55 laps. 35 minutes, all 55 laps. Really bugged you that much? I thought about it because I was like, okay, when did this start? Like, for, like somewhere, some, do you, am I wrong about Ten years ago, nobody ever said, I know, right? I know, right. Yeah, it is, that is like a, That is like the biggest thing. For five years, people have been saying this to me. I know, right? And somebody started that. Did that come from a TV show or did it come from a movie? And who okayed it? Yeah, I, I didn't know. okay that. I don't know. Ten years ago, nobody ever said, I know, right? And I it's the way they say, right? It is annoying. I have a lot of pet peeves. That, yeah. That's not necessarily one of them, but it does kind of bug okay, me. Okay, I, I won't call it a pet peeve. I just want to know the you origin. You thought about it when for 35 it minutes. What? It's a pet yeah, peeve. Yeah, it is a pet peeve. Okay. <laughs> I want to know when it, what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, right? <laughs> I, I know, no right? Idea. God, it's I cool. I know, right? I know, right? It's so annoying. It is It's annoying. almost like I heard you. I don't really give a shit what you just said. And I want to move on. It's there's kind of a message to it. Like I don't want to discuss this anymore. I have no in, intention or no interest in discussing this with you. But I'll give you a like. A, this is my brush off. It's like a brush off. I'll I know, right? Interest in agreeing with you. I a know, little right? Bit. Yeah. Can we stop that? <laughs> now I got to find out where it started. I want to know. These now. little things happen. Yeah. I used to say on the old radio show, all of a sudden people started calling game-winning home runs at the end of games walk off. Yeah, that's like a newish term, isn't well, it? Well, it's like eight years, seven, eight, nine yeah, yeah. years old. But again, game winner, some, right? Yeah, it was a game-winning home run. Right. Somebody all of a sudden, now ESPN, I was like, wait, hold, hold, hold on. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember accepting that. <laughs> and I literally refused to do it. I never called it a walk-off home run. I called it a game-winning home run. They do it with like football, too, like walk-off field goal, I think <sighs> I've heard, too. Like it's moving on. Really? I mean, things are moving so fast. I, I, yeah. I once heard Dennis Miller recently say, you know, Dennis Miller, the comedian, yeah. say, it's, it's like they changed the rules of blackjack to 22, man. I need some time to process because, you know, <laughs> everything's going so fast here. Right? I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> anyway. Uh. All right. This is episode uh, number 58. Oh, right. I haven't started it yet. Episode 58. Think about 58. Bruce Schultz from the Seahawks. Think about 58. That's all I'm going to say. Think about 58. Okay. Brady Henderson. Rick Neuheisel's back. Joe Flint of the Wall Street Journal to teach us about streaming video services and how even with 160 million subscribers, that's how many Netflix has, they're the runaway leaders and they're like the Apple in the marketplace. How can they afford to spend 500 million on one old set of reruns? I, I don't... I don't, I don't, I can't fathom the financial dynamic of that. I, I've always been trying to do the math of how they make their money because they spend a lot of money on comedy specials and everything. How does that work? I mean, I guess, yeah. Listen to the, listen to the I guess we'll find out. And we'll take the Seahawks to task. Hotshot, it's obviously very important that everybody remember that 58 or any Mitch Unfiltered show, not possible without our sponsors, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, where more and more families are taking an opportunity to save money on a refinance of their home. Jordan Flowers Guild Mortgage Group is waiting to save you cash 
Every month, they've got three top 1% brokers in their Kirkland office alone. The phone number, 425-250-3150. Do what everyone else is doing. Find out if you could save money through the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call is a premier wealth manager in the Northwest, always innovating. Evergreen Golf Call, the new Evervestment program, allowing normal people like you and me to get that same expertise that Evergreen offers their high net wealth investors evervestment.com zeke's pizza with 17 locations now in woodenville we were at the linwood spot for the saints and seahawks game on sunday lots of fun 17 spots to choose from for goodness sake zeke's pizza homegrown in the northwest and daniel's broiler with four all-time locations each providing different ambiances but that same world-class service, and the best stakes anywhere. Leshine Marina, South Lake Union, a top Bellevue place in the newest jewel downtown at the brand-new Hyatt Regency. There's no place like Daniel's for special occasions, good guests, fun topics, lots of laughs. We'll review the Seahawks and the Saints. It's all up now on Episode 58. Unfiltered. The NFL is running a a real tightrope here. At what point do players have to play for the teams that they're on? Are we now in an era where if a player doesn't want to play anymore from the team that he's on, he says, I don't want to play there anymore, that we have to trade him right away? We're going to have utter chaos in the NFL. And how are how are teams that are bad supposed to get better if the great players on the bad teams don't want to play there anymore and they have to trade them right away? How do the how do the bad teams get better? Unfiltered. There's nobody that's disputing that those texts were written by Antonio Brown. Nobody on Antonio Brown's team is disputing that those weren't texts that were sent from Antonio Brown to this woman. And whether he was guilty of anything or not criminally, and if he was guilty of anything or not civilly, you're telling me, after all that we've learned about the NFL, that those texts aren't enough of bad publicity for the NFL, for the NFL to say, at the very least, no, you're not playing in Miami this week when the Patriots play the Dolphins. Mitch is unfiltered. Saints come here and beat the Seahawks with their backup quarterbacks. There is zero chance. Episode number 58 is about to begin. We're about to take the Seahawks to task and make fun of the Washington State Cougars <laughs> who have uh, who have now redefined the the age-old term of cooged it. I mean, people thought for years and years and years they knew what cooged it means. The, it turns out none of us knew what Kugdit means. Right. We found out on Saturday night what Kugdit means. The bar continues to get lower on Kugdit. Up 32 against a piss-poor team. Right. They gave up 50 in the second half. A guy throws for nine touchdowns, and it's not enough. Not enough. The Washington State quarterback, when was the last time in, in NCAA history that a quarterback threw for nine touchdowns in a game right. and lost? Has it happened? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. Maybe Andre Ware or something. Episode Isaiah Kazavinsky. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. Where did he go to college? I'm Out going of? to say he went to Harvard. Correct. Thank you, sir. Episode Blair Bush. Oh, center. No, was he 58? I thought he was 59. Oh, I don't know. He was 59 for the Seahawks, yeah. but he was 58 at the University of... Oh, I'll never get that one. Oh, Washington. Washington. I didn't know that. I didn't know it. He was an All-American. You are Wink Martindale right now. Look at all go. these questions. You know who else was number 58? You know his son better than you know him. Stafford Mays, who played at the University of Washington. Oh, Taylor's Father dad. of Taylor. Yeah, gotcha. Right. right? 
Um, but none of those guys are episode 58. I think it comes down to one of two guys, and we'll go through this quickly and then go to the, go to the Seahawks or go to wherever you want to go. Your boy Jacob Eason looking like a pro. Thank you. Um, I think it comes down to Jack Lambert. Yes. One of the greatest linebackers of all time in the, in the heyday in the 1970s for that Steelers dynasty. If you look, he was like 220 pounds when he got drafted. Is that true? Yeah. I, I remember because he was the same size as like Al Toon. I remember so looking that up. Like It was Jack Ham and Jack Lambert, yeah. 58 and 59. So probably in our next segment, our next episode next week, we'll be talking about Jack, Jack Ham instead of Jack. So Jack Lambert, 11 seasons. Remember this, 11 seasons, four Super Bowl titles, nine Pro Bowls in 11 seasons, all with the Steelers. And seven. Never went anywhere else. <laughs> oh, that, that's, Never that's went cool. Else. Yeah. Okay. But then there's Derek Thomas, uh, who you asked about. Right. Uh, 11 seasons, just like Lambert, nine Pro Bowls, just like Lambert, one of the greatest pass-rushing kind of edge defenders, and then died tragically, do you recall, 2000? Fell off a bed or no, something? No, or? <laughs> Well, no, like a hospital bed, like he fell off. Oh, and... yeah, you're, you're kind of right. Yeah. He like got into a car. Or... He, no, he got in a car. He was driving a car in the snow in I, Kansas City. I didn't mean bunk bed with his brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hospital bed, go on. He dro- was driving a car to the airport in Kansas City in... December of 99 or, or January of 2000, right t- towards the beginning of the new year, he had two people in his car. It was snowing. He was weaving in and out of traffic. They got in an accident. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He got ejected oh, from the car. God. He was paralyzed from his chest down. He was going to live, and he was they were starting the rehabilitation paralyzed. He was still playing for the Chiefs. He had 126 and a half sacks at the time. And then like two weeks later, he had a blood clot in his in his leg that led to a what do you call it embolism? Yeah, is that the word? I think so. Yeah, um, and he died right there. It, he died getting off of. They were getting him off the bed and yeah. putting him into a wheelchair, and he died right there. Oh, so sad. Derek Thomas, thirty three years old. He was good. He tore really me. good. AFC West kid right here. Well, I you, him. you know, you know the game. Yeah, Dave, oh, Dave Craig. How many sacks did he have alone? All t- still the all time record. Oh, is it? Yeah. I was going to say five, but I don't. seven. Whew. And he had number eight. That's right. He had him in the grass. He had number yeah. eight, and he wiggled away and yep. threw to Paul Scancy for a touchdown. They, they beat him. That's he, right. That's kind of like the Washington State quarterback throwing for nine touchdowns and lose. He had seven sacks in a game, and they lost. I just – I rip my defense a new one when I come in. What – does it's anybody want to help me out here? Anybody? Or do I have to just do everything? Seven sacks? Yeah. It's a Not lot. Not good enough. No. Nah. Uh, and and th- I would think it comes down to Jack Lambert or Derek Thomas. There's also Carl Banks, who wore 58 for the Giants, really good player. Wilbur Marshall, Wilbur Marshall. was really, yeah, really good for the Bears. Good, yeah. I don't think either of those guys quite live up to Jack Lambert and Derek Thomas. Both are Hall of Famers, so we have to decide between those two. Uh, horrible weekend for the Cougars and Seahawks. Thanks, first of all. Thank you, thank you, first of all, to everybody at the Linwood Zeke's Pizza location and the corporate people at Zeke's Pizza for putting on. It was really short, short notice. Decided to go to Linwood, and we got a great turnout. Lots of free pizza, lots of beer drinking. Unfortunately, no one wants to go to Linwood Zeke's anymore for game days because it was bad luck. Uh, well, yeah. or you can look at it as we're, we have to change it. We have to. We got to fix it. We have to. We have to view a game where they win there. Really? So we got to keep going back. I, I there think you do. Yeah, we to gotta, that location. The other Zeke's location is like, oh, 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 hold on. Well, you there's know, 16 other of us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm rooting for Issaquah. That one I'm rooting for. I'll, I'll you see you, you there. Like show. <laughs> We'll see. Can you send a helicopter for me or no? Yeah. <laughs> to go to Issaquah? <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty short ride. <laughs> I was driving back to record 58 with you, 
and I was listening to the Seahawks radio network. My old friend uh, Dory Monson was interviewing Steve Rabel. Do you know Dory, honestly? He is a friend? I, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, we know each other. Oh, you do? Okay, I, I didn't know. 30, 25 years, I know him. Okay. Uh, I mean, we're, we're not going out drinking anytime sure. soon. Yeah. Uh, not making cookies Dor- on the weekends Dor- Dory Monson <laughs> was speaking to Steve Rabel on the Seahawks postgame show. And Dory asked, he, he used the words, boy, that was something like a butt whipping or a boy, they had their lunch handed to him or something like that. That was a real blow out, like a real. And, you know, I, I bristled at that. Que- as much as I love Dory Monson, I listened to him going and I listened to him coming. Yeah. I bristled at that question because I don't feel like what I watched on Sunday was the Saints coming in here and laying it on the Seattle Seahawks. It wasn't the Rams game in 2017 that they referred to on the radio I think did they yeah or on the TV that, yeah, it was actually Jim Nance who, who referred to it on the TV I remember that felt like okay a butt kicking and then but if you look at the stats of Sunday this was I mean let's make this clear I, I you don't have to be a football savant to know what I'm about to say the Seattle Seahawks made so many freaking mistakes most of them unforced errors in the first quarter and a half which by the way They've got a knack of doing, but they normally climb out of the hole and win. Right. This, this, under Pete Carroll, make no, you could call Pete Carroll a Hall of Fame coach. He probably is. You can give him credit to be the, the greatest coach of this. Routinely for years. Now, there are exceptions, but routinely for years, this team gets off to bad starts in games. Most of the time, Russell Wilson and maybe the Legion of Boom over the years and all these, they get them out of the hole and they come back and everything's yep. all's well that ends well. Every once in a while, you have something like you had on Sunday where they just sucked to, I mean, everybody, the coaching decisions, the tackling, the punt coverage, the punter kicking at 38 yards, the, the, the five-yard penalty automatic first down on a missed field goal for lining up over the center, an illegal formation. May I, I mean, add the one? The fumble by Chris Carson. Where, where you, you, we, there the are, guy who wasn't in a uniform running out on the field. The guy and, running, Jesus thank you very Christ. much. What are we doing, everybody? Yeah. Can we get it together, And then please? they show a video of that guy, and he's in a, he's in a parker going, my bad. Yeah, right. My bad. I'm ready to throw myself out the first floor window of Zeke's. I'm not going to fall very far. <laughs> right. And he's over there going, no, my bad. Yeah. He's kind of high-fiving yeah. people. Cost him 15 yards yeah. on that on that punt. That was on the uh, punt fumble that you talk about. There were like 10 or 12 different things. Now, I, I'm a little biased because I'm a Seahawks fan, so maybe an NFL observer would say, hold on, Mitch. The Saints forced a lot of those things, like the Chris Carson fumble. To me... Chris Carson's going through a bad time right now. It's in his head a little bit. He he went to cover up with two arms, and then he left. He put one arm out to brace his fall. They punched it out. To me, yeah, was that a good play by the Saints? Yeah. yeah. But then they fumble. They pick it up. Nobody really goes to right. try to tackle the guy, and he That's runs in for a t- he goes in for a touchdown. Like, they all stopped and go in for a touchdown. I, I blame that on the refs because we've seen plays that they blow dead and everyone just sort of stops. And I think they've been told, don't blow things dead, let it play out, and then right. we can go back. And, and that's what they should do. That's what the they should do, but that's not, not what they've been doing well, like how last about, week against the Saints. Okay, well, they didn't blow the whistle. How about the Seahawks getting up right. and going tackling the guy? I think they're or making some it. sort of concerted effort yeah. to tackle the guy. No, I agree. It's fair. Uh, again, and we can go to the, the punt return that the, early in the game for a touchdown. Okay, was that a great play by the Saints? All right. It was also a 38-yard low punt by your all-world kicker that everybody says is the best kicker in the world. 38 yards and poor coverage and poor tackling. It screws up the coverage okay. a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
how about how about the coach and the use of timeouts and the and the decisions oh by the God. coaching staff? How about okay? I'll get to the end of the first half okay. in a second, which <laughs> really, I'm really, I, again, I'm ready to throw myself out the window yeah. because I am I'm I am so I get so irritated and discombobulated with with major division one college coaches and head football coaches in the NFL and coaching staffs that get paid millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars making clock management and and extra point decision mistakes. Right. You, you brought it up about Chris Peterson not being great at it. Yeah. And I remember thinking, well, maybe it was just one game. It, it can't really go on that much. And but here it is again. Another Chris week. Peterson, it happens. Chris Peterson's an all-world coach, and it happens yeah. twice a year with Chris. We were Chris just Peterson. talking about this, and then we see we it were. today. We were. Like, okay. Okay. Uh, where do I? Yeah. It's the end of the half. You've got two timeouts. You're going to throw on the last play of the half a long ball to your big, tall, wide receiver and hope that he makes a play. If he does make a play, you're in position for a field goal. But you don't call a timeout before the second to last play where you get nine yards. Over the middle. You've got two timeouts to go. And as the guy next to me at Zeke said, okay, all right, if you don't want to call a timeout there, then get on a knee and let's go to half. If you're going to throw exactly right. a long ball to try to get a play, why are we not? What is, the, what, is the, what is the downside to taking a timeout just in case the guy catches the ball, which he did, <laughs> right. and might be able to get your field goal attempt? Right. Either we're still swinging or we're not. Right, either we're still punching or Make we're not. A yeah. Pooper, get off the pot. Right, right. Yeah, they're right I mean, in the and, and is that is that like is that is that? Do you need to have a Harvard degree to be able to understand that? <laughs> I don't think so. Pete Carroll's a Hall of Fame coach. He's got this coaching staff. He's got people upstairs. I mean, can somebody not come up with? Hey, we need to call a timeout here if we're if we're taking a shot. Schottenheimer, he's calling in a play, a bomb. Why doesn't he say, let's take a timeout because I'm going to throw a bomb here? Yeah. I, 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 please. I think, if you've got an answer for this, please. No, I think Pete needs to go through the concussion protocol after getting hit in the face with a ball. Maybe maybe he's concussed because I have no answer for that. And he must be on blood thinners because that thing was bleed. He kept on going. To, yeah. He was kept on dab. He was dabbing. It broke the skin of football. Well... It can break the little squid, older but guy. I would think it would have coagulated. It just wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't scabbing very quickly. It was weird. Uh, but, by the way, that's a great sign of how things were going to go today. That's all yeah. you had to see was warmups. Him getting hit in the face with a ball. I don't know. Um, the offensive coordinator calling calling a dive play on third and four. No gain, forcing them to go on fourth and four, and not one of the many fourth down calls that didn't go their way. They were one um, for four and four. Tackling. Down. How about missed tackles? How about Michael Hendricks? Who's I mean, I, everybody, when I was driving home, again, Steve Rabel talking about how good Alvin Kamara is. And he is. He's really good. He's really good. But he's not freaking Bo Jackson. He had 69 yards today rushing. It felt like way more, didn't Well, he it? had some – he probably had it eight was, catches, nine catches. Yeah, he had too. 90 yards. And it but, wasn't today. It was on Sunday. Right, just on so Sunday you know. when the Seahawks played. But yes. Michael Kendricks is in a position on third down – I think it was third down – to drop him on a screen pass in the backfield, and he just runs right through him. And he, I, how many missed – he fell. One of the plays, yep. he literally slipped and fell. He was on his back. He got up and, and fell forward Still for six four. yards. Yeah, I know. But wasn't there also a play where McDougal, I think it was McDougal, and if it wasn't, then I'm sorry, McDougal, where he didn't wrap up. He went up and kind of tried to blow him up. Yeah, I, I, like, I, the look, percentages say McDougal did that because everybody did that. Unless your name's Cam Chancellor, you need to wrap up when you tackle. You're not a hard enough hitter to just take him. It drives me crazy when they don't wrap up. They're almost like too cool, like they want to blow everybody up, you know? 
I don't know the nuts. I don't know I don't know the reason I don't know the re- oh. here I guess what I'm trying to say is your punter your all world punter had a 28 yard net out here's what I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say is I don't feel and this is one man's opinion I don't feel like the Saints came in here I mean, the Saints are a good football team you said they had no chance no to chance. win yep. I told you that while I don't think they'll win they're so good across the board that they might be able to rally behind a backup quarterback and win a game which is exactly what they did but hot shot. It's 2019, is it not? It is, yes. The Saints had how many yards passing? Don't look. Uh, 250. How about 177 yeah. yards in, in 2019? How many yards rushing do you think they had? Uh, Kamara had 16, 120. How about 88 yards? All right. how about, so total yards, East Skate State. Give me the numbers again. 177 <laughs> and 88, 265 yards. Okay. I, I'm gonna, I, you, you can check me on this. Uh, they had 265 yards. The Seahawks, now, of course, a lot of it was pad st- uh, stat padding at the Garbage end. Garbage time, yeah. They had, fi- they had over 500 yards, right. okay? The Seahawks l- contained the Saints to 265 total yards. At the end of this season, I'm willing to make a bet with you right now. I'll bet you right now a taco time taco that at the end of the year, when you look back at the 16 games, that 265 yards of total offense by the opponent will be one of the three best games that the Seahawks play all year. And they got blown out. Now, the reason they got blown out was not because the Saints came in here and pushed them around. Because the Seahawks made coaching errors, made clock mistakes, made stupid... I mean, how can you... I mean, every, my... My my two year old grandson, whom I don't have, right, <laughs> knows you can't line up over the center on a field goal attempt. The guy misses the field goal short, five yards for lining up over the center. That, that that's like one oh one. That's field goal kicking. You can't do that. And the automatic first down. They go down and score. Yep. I, the Seahawks handed them a bunch of stuff that created a huge hole. And they couldn't get out of it. That's the way I look at the Seahawks game. I didn't see any way the Saints would come in and win. But if, if there was a way, this is exactly how they come in and win. By the Seahawks doing this kind of stupid stuff. And by the way, the, the Chris Carson fumble, that was a pretty nice run, if you remember correctly. I, I do remember. It I was mean, like 24 yards. He was busted it. Yeah. They could have just kept. And then he slipped on that. They had a big hole and he slipped in the end zone. I mean, they were like ready to start running the ball and moving the ball. It looked good. Next thing you know, they're going the other way, and it all the just... quarterback threw for your quarterback threw for 400 yards. He didn't get sacked one time in 50 something. I mean, think about that for yeah, a second. That's crazy. If I had told you a few hits, if but... I if I okay, but if I had told you that in pass protection that your quarterback was going to throw 50 some odd times and not get sacked by the number one sack team in the yeah. league going in, no way. I would have said minimum five sacks. Okay, but if I told you zero, yeah. you wouldn't think they got blown out. If I <laughs> no. said zero sacks, they give up, and you limit them to 265 yards, win. and then I told you they got blown out, you would say, okay, then something, then they did a series of things, which they did, yep. to blow the game, to really blow the game early and then not be able to get out of the hole. Did it feel like Russell wasn't as accurate today on, on, on Sunday as he was typically? <laughs> did it feel like he was throwing the ball behind guys. He was underthrowing them. He was throwing at their feet. I think... I mean, I know he had a lot of okay. completions. He, I, I think that for the, for the most part, he was really good. And his, runnings, his running was really good. He picked the right times to run. Mm-hmm. He got first downs. Yeah, there were some balls that were... There were three or four or five in a row, actually, that he underthrew. But yep. if you go back and you look at them, and we pointed that out, you go back and you look at them, 
Um, he was on the run on a lot of those. He was thrown across his body. He was trying to get away from pressure. But yes, even the pass to Will Disley yeah. that he completed had he, that he had to wait he had to for, turn around and, and go get it. it. Yeah. Had, had it had it been on money, he might, might have been a touchdown. I it agree. was like at about the fifteen yard line. But yeah, yeah. What I say, okay, I would say that Russell Wilson, yes, underthrew some balls, threw some poor passes, but. I mean, on the list of reasons why they lost that game on Sunday. Fair enough. Yeah, he's at the. I mean, he's the very, very. He yep. was. He was fine. He was great. He was great on a number of different occasions. That fourth down where he missed Lockett. That that one hurt. And wide it's funny, open. It, wide open. Wide open. Wide open in okay. the NFL. While we're talking about unforced errors, and you want to talk about Russell Wilson, how about when he came up to the line on fourth and one in a critical moment, and changed the play, which was clearly going to be a running play. He, he, he did a gesture, and he threw to Malik Turner a long, a long, low-percentage ball five yards over his head, changing the play on fourth and less than one to that, and then f- throwing a ball over the – I mean, complete, complete error – a complete quarterbacking error. Not only changing the play, but then not on the same page with the receiver because the receiver was running like an out, and he throws it in. Uh, it uh, wasn't even close. Malik, no, no, it was way over. Remember, Malik that's Turner was like looking they towards the sideline. Yeah. They challenged yeah. the play, yeah. and they. But, but you, I mean, you can't throw that. You can't. That's got to be a. T- if that's not a touchdown or a big play, you're going to take the fall as yeah. a quarterback. But that's Again. what he does, though. Remember, he he did that to DK Metcalf. Was it uh, last week on four? Was it four? Change the play. I don't know, but he. It was like all he needed was four yards to keep yeah. the game going, yeah. and he throws for a touchdown. Yeah. So yeah, we love but it when he different. does it. No, but that's different. Okay, changing that's, the that's play co- is the part that you're. Well, fourth and inside of one. Okay, you're down. You're behind. You have to get the first down, and you change from a running play to a very low because you see a certain coverage. You gesture to the wide receiver. I'm changing the play. Let's go. I'm going for broke right here. You better you better nail it. If you don't nail it, yeah. just one. And again, Russell Wilson was not the reason they lost the game on Sunday. He was. I thought in total, I thought Russell Wilson was very very good, especially with his decisions to run and so forth. It was all these other stuff. I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I know that Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com, the Seahawks insider, will tell us about injuries, Dwayne Brown and McDougal and so forth. I'll just give you this. At the end of the game, at the end of the game, the Seahawks scored a touchdown to pull within 33 to 20. They scored a touchdown with a minute or two, two minutes to go, to go to 33 to 20 before they tried that crazy onside. It wasn't even an onside kick. Yeah. It was like a little scribble kick. What was kick. that too? How, I mean, here's just the, the total oh. meltdown. 33-20 after the touchdown. They, they kicked the extra point. I mean, now, now are they going to win? They probably have lost the game. I get that. But at 33-20, they kicked the extra point to go 33-21. Right. Instead of going for two to make it a an 11, a touchdown and a and field goal. goal. Yeah. And they, they just totally, I, I believe that was a total kind of space job by the, there was no, there is no possible sheet explanation or anybody's explanation no. in that situation. Now, again, people will yell at the podcast. They're going to lose anyway. Probably. Okay, it's not the but, point. But, but let, me, let, me, let me play it out for you, okay? They go for one there. There is no reason to go for one. Zero reason to go for one. Okay, no possible explanation except you don't want to get somebody hurt or something. If they go for two there and they get to within 11, instead of 33-21, it becomes 33-22, okay? They end up getting the ball back, right? Yeah, they did. Okay, 
And with one minute and 10 seconds, no, with one minute to go, they got to a point on the field. They could have kicked a field goal with a minute yep. to go. Yep. If they were down 11, they could have kicked a field goal and then tried the onside kick. And if they got the onside kick, go for the touchdown or not. But they couldn't kick the field goal because they were down 12. Right. Instead of being touchdowns. down, you need two touchdowns. Silly. I, again, would it have raised the percentage from zero to six percent? May, but the point is the point. The game's right. not over. You're just and you're still making like like stupid clock and score mistakes, which is inexcusable. Okay, I I get I get that Pete Carroll's great, and I appreciate everything that he's done for the town, for the football team, go to the Hall of Fame. I get it. But he he made so many he, I shouldn't say he. He and his coaching staff made so many like stupid little play calling, clock timeouts, score extra point mistakes. It was it was like a comedy of errors in there. And that's the way I feel about it. Kicking that extra point suggests that he We've just give it up. That's right. Well, at least that's what it says to he me. He never gives up. But but they didn't give up because they came out and tried no. to score again. And he never – he preaches, I never give up right. until the 0-0-0. Zero, zero, zero. He, just, he just was out to lunch. He, he sent the, the, the kicking team in with no kind of grasp on, we got to get to within 11, and we might have the outside of outside shots to come down, kick yeah. a field goal, and then be down eight, and then kick an onside kick. But he was – At least mathematically you give maybe yourself the football, a chance. Maybe he was in concussion protocol. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, he, was, he needs to go through uh, concussion protocol. Maybe he's iffy you. for next week. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Maybe he is. I don't know. Oh, this game was so frustrating. But you're right, though, about – we've seen this before, and they always climb out. They just got too deep this time. They couldn't climb out. They could not climb out, nope. but they're two and one, and they've got they've got the Arizona Cardinals coming up next next week, and uh, uh, Kyler Murray, the the number one overall pick for the for the Cardinals, will face the Seahawks defense for the first time. Um, I have one or two more. <laughs> I think I'll leave it. You got one or two more Seahawks things? Yeah. Should I let it be? Was there any positives that you saw? Anything you went? Oh, okay, all right. What about Ziggy? We see anything out of him? No, he looked gassed at the end of the second half. Didn't do anything. I, they didn't get. How many times you watch an NFL game where there's zero sacks on either side? Right, That's zero crazy. sacks. Zero sacks. Now I don't blame. I'm a pass rush snob, but I don't blame the Seahawks for their lack of sacks because I think they gave up 177 yards. It's a very modest amount, and he was getting rid of the ball fast, and they were rushing for. I'm not. I don't think that was a big part of the story. I think the part of the story, if you wanna, if you wanna. Put your point your finger at the defense, which I don't think you really should. But if you want to point your finger at the defense, it's very clear. Tackling, they did not tackle Alvin Kamara. That's the only issue. Otherwise, they gave up 265 yards. And in this day and age in the NFL, 265 is a winning number. It's almost yep. always a winning number. So outside of the lack of tackling of Alvin Kamara. I think the defense did plenty enough to win. But to answer your question, nothing about Ziggy. Um, I, I'll just say I, it may be too early for me to make this point. This is what I, I was kind of wrestling in my mind whether I wanted to say this. You know who L.J. Collier is, right? Uh, yeah, I'd like to see him play at some point. Okay, he played last week very limitedly in Pittsburgh. He's been hurt, yeah. and he's healthy enough. He was a healthy scratch on Sunday against the Saints. Um, a guy named Monet Ansa. Jackson, Green, Clowney, Woods, Ford, and Jefferson. Those are all names of defensive linemen who are active for the game 
on Sunday against the Saints. And this is probably Mitch being Mitch and being way too early jumping the gun, but your first-round draft choice, who you're really excited about, to add to that rotation is healthy and he's not active and there's eight other guys on your roster throw out the answers and the clownies and the real good one there's no jaron reed yeah and, and lj collier if lj collier isn't good enough at this point maybe it's too early but at this point to break into the top eight what are we saying about our first round draft choice Right. I mean, I've been hard on Marquise Blair for the second round. I thought he should be an instant starter. Well, he's, what a, about he's at least playing. Right. He's at least on the active roster. He played a lot on Sunday. So you can imagine how I feel about the first round pick. He should be starting every game. Well, maybe not starting, but he should, he be, should in be in starting. the he should be in the rotation at the pick. very least. Well, he missed all of Trey. He missed all of the exhibition in season. Theory, if he wasn't hurt, you but, know, he but should be a starter. I, I think a fair so I'm just trying to be reasonable yeah. here. So I'll 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 withdraw from your he should be starting. But I will say this. He should be he should be on the active roster. If yeah. he's not good enough to be on the active roster, again, what does that say about where LJ Collier is as a Seahawks? Anyway, that's enough about that. Wagner earned his money today. You see 18 tackles. Which day? Wagner earned his money on Sunday. <laughs> did you see that? 18 <laughs> tackles? I did. Oh, I did. God. We're gonna wear him out at 18 well, tackles. Well, that's that's the way it goes. I that's, guess that's yeah. that's what uh, that's what he's all about. Anyway, okay. Those are my Pearls of wisdom on Sunday's game and loss, two and one. I really feel like they could be three and zero, oh, obvi- well, obviously. But when whatever. they went into Pittsburgh and won, we said that's one of those games where we looked at and you said, supposed to." So now they gave it back. Of course, that's how it goes, right? You well, they didn't. Re- they one. didn't really give it back because at the beginning of the year, when you looked at the New Orleans game here, you thought Drew Brees, and you thought, "Okay, that's probably a, if they're going to lose games at home, this is probably one that they're going to lose." So you really haven't given it right back. I guess the injury is what I'm. I'm go to go to Arizona, beat the Cardinals, get to three and one. Feeling we, okay. We go from there. All yeah, right. Yeah. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com wraps it up. Uh, he was obviously at the game, and he'll tell us all about whatever injury information we've got and and what the uh, scuttlebutt was in the locker room after the game as the Seahawks lost to the uh, to the Saints. And then we got Rick Neuheisel. Is Jacob Eason making a making a uh, charge to the NFL. Is this, is this a one-and-done year at the University of Washington? He played great against BYU. They played great against BYU. Uh, we'll get that guy on from the Wall Street Journal to talk about Netflix and just the whole competition, the cut the cutthroat industry that is, what is it called, streaming video. Streaming right? platforms. Streaming, streaming platforms. Yeah. He'll teach us about that. And then you and I, I've got a, a lot of other little things. Maybe we'll laugh a little bit in the, in the last Let's segment. Let's do it. All right? All right, hot shot. Where do the Seahawks go from here? How about all the injuries that happened on Sunday? The Arizona Cardinals are next, as is Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com, to kind of go behind the curtain here on Mitch Unfiltered. But before we get there, how about Steve Dion, the executive producer of Mitch Unfiltered, who called upon the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage to save him money on a refinance of his home? Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon, and 
at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, working with Jordan and Christina there. Not not bad for a coog. You know, I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? It took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a 15-minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month on top of that. Uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my tumbler? There it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. You could start saving big time today. Unfiltered. Dixon's punt travels to the 47. Hit Harris with a little wiggle. And there he goes. Deontay Harris going to take it the distance. Carson. There's another earthquake, Jim. Well, he broke a tackle or two. He might have had a little beast quake. Ball was picked up by the Saints. That's Bell. And everybody's looking around like the ball was whistled down, but the Saints don't believe so. Week was. Was he down? Apple's going to punch it. Let's see if his knee's down right before. Oh, that looks like it's out, Jim. It's an unusual game. So many things happened in this game that were that just hurt ourselves. We made mistakes and errors, the big plays, the returns, and the mistake in the kicking game that gives them another chance for another touchdown that's like a turnover. We just had a really hard time getting out of our own way. There's too many chances I had to, to make some things happen, and I've tried too hard at the times and, and uh, kind of got <clears throat> in the flow of it and just really disappointed, just disappointed across the board. But this is one game, and this is the one game that, you know, maybe this is the one game that we learn from and we grow from and we can put this one behind us. Fireside Home Solutions obviously brings you the Brady Henderson chat each and every week. Brady Henderson, of course, the ESPN and ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Well, this is our first shot, Brady. You and I get a chance to talk about a Seahawks loss. We almost talked about a Seahawks loss in week one, kind of close in week two, and we're going to talk about one in week three. This stings Seahawks nation, the 12s in particular, because of the obvious, right? Drew Brees is not playing. You get this team here. You figure you'll take care of business. So everybody's a little a little shocked. We'll be walking around on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week a little shocked about what they saw on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. This was, you know, a very good shot. We talked about this being, you know, a great chance for them to, to get to 3-0 and against a backup quarterback. But we also talked about, um, you know, the reality that if any team was, you know, uh, in position to maybe win a few games, uh, or if you know, if any team was was in a had a good situation with its backup quarterback, it's the Saints, who probably have um, you know maybe the best backup quarterback in the NFL. And what we should have added there too is that they have a really good you know offensive-minded head 
coach. Um, and I thought you saw that on display. That was a pretty good game plan from Sean Payton. Um, so, you know, you can debate whether this was the Seahawks winning it the or the Seahawks, you know, losing it or the Saints winning it. Um, probably a little bit of both, but certainly Sean Payton wow. had a nice game plan. Uh, for Teddy Bridgewater, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push you to I, you can't you can't take a little bit of both. You got to give me like kind of a way. I'm gonna push you on this because and I, I not look everybody overreacts after losses of their favorite team, no matter what the sport. So I'm gonna be one of those guys. I'll be one of those twelves who overreact. Here's the way I view the Seahawks. In many more times than not, let's just say three out of every four games, the Seahawks get off to slow starts especially on offense. They can't get out of their way early in games. They spot leads all the time. They kind of sleepwalk their way into halftime, and then they find more times than not the way to come out of the hole and all's well that ends well. And then every once in a while, Brady, you fall upon a game where they do so many self-inflicted things against a decent team that the hole gets so deep they can't they try like hell for the rest of the rest of the game to try to come out of it and to me on sunday that's what this game felt like whether it was the punt return it was a 38 or 37 yard punt by the all-world punter bad coverage whether it was the fumble by chris carson and not not really going after the guy who recovered the fumble it's the guy who lines up over the center in the field goal so they give him an automatic first down there's change of plays there's bad clock management in there for i mean it was just I, mean, I could go on and on i got 10 more uh and that's kind of the way i see this game as you know, at the end of the day, the Saints got 265 yards of total offense. That's it, 177 and 88. If, at the end of the year, Brady, how many games will we look upon, back upon over 16 and see the Seahawks limit their opponent to 265 or less? This is going to be one of the best best total yards allowed that they're going to have all season. So I, I felt like on Sunday it was more about the Seahawks and what they did to themselves in the first half than it was about the Saints. I, I, I encourage you to disagree if you feel that way. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think certainly some of that was what the Saints did. You know, you mentioned the missed tackling. You know, you could look at that and say, you know, the, all the missed tackles on that Alvin Kamara 29-yard touchdown run, you could say look, that was a gift from the defense. You could also look at it from the offensive side and say, well, Alvin Kamara is a really good back, and he made those guys miss. Um, but, no, I, I, I can't totally disagree with you just because, you know, when you almost double up a team in terms of total yards like that, uh, 515 to 265, you know, that means you made a, a handful of pretty bad mistakes, and that's exactly what happened in this game. And it was, you know, the coaching mistakes that, that Pete Carroll mentioned. Um, you know, the, the, I think the one that was probably most galling to me uh, was the just the, the end of half mismanagement of the yeah, clock, you know, right before halftime yeah. there where – um, you know, and I guess you know, in a in a game that you end up losing by six points, you're probably only looking at kicking a field goal there. Um, but again, that's three points that in a close game that you could definitely use. And you know, the explanation from Pete afterwards was, um, you know, had he known it would have turned out like that, I think, meaning had he known that they were going to connect on a 54-yard pass from Wilson to DK Metcalf that got him to the Saints 30, uh, that they would have called a timeout before. Uh, that play. So in between the the completion to Nick Vinette and that play, um, but you know my my counter to that would be if you're if, unless you're going to take a knee and just, right. you know run out the clock. Right. Why wouldn't you use a timeout? You you either concede the half or don't. So and they were sort of caught in between there. It seemed yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, it, but it goes beyond that. And I know that he took a, a little bit of a bullet during the the post game. He said this wasn't one of his best games. Maybe he was hit upside the head with a football and and he wasn't thinking straight. But that that wasn't just it. I mean, there were 
fourth down, there were decisions to pass up on points and go for it. There was even, and I know that this is kind of uh, maybe salt to the wound and there was going to be no difference in the outcome, but there was even kind of a brain fart at the very, very end when they're down, uh, what, they're down 13 after a late score. You got to go for two to get to within 11 so that when you're a minute to go in the game and you've got the ball at the 30-yard line, which they did, you can take the quick three and try try the onside kick. That, that That's a recipe that's worked before for teams. Uh, it just... Uh, and then there were there were interesting calls, and I know that Russell Wilson is is at you know on on the hook for the changing of the play on the long pass on fourth. I don't know. It, this was not. Let's leave it at this. This was not Pete Carroll's finest moment of his Hall of Fame career on the Seahawks sideline, Brady. No, no, by no means. And, and you know, to go back to the the decision to go for or decision to just kick the extra point that was after their second to last touchdown. Um, and kicking the extra point puts them down by 12. And, you know, being down by 12 doesn't really do you any good. Because no. that's still, right. um, you know, the, the idea is to get to 11 there. And, and, you know, you're thinking way ahead here. But, you know, I think, you know, coaches have those those charts there, uh, or they should have those charts that sort of help them make decisions like that when, you know, you know, okay, here's how much time you have left. Here's, you know, what being down by this many points means. And, again, if you're down by 11, that in theory could mean that, you know, you could kick a field goal and score a touchdown and tie it up with the extra point in, right. in any order that that happens. Right. Uh, but being down by 12 points doesn't do you any good. He was asked about that, and, and, you know, this was after he had already acknowledged, you know, a few other mistakes that he had made, sort of coaching miscues. And he said, yeah, we screwed that up too. So um, really, really just not his finest day. And, you know, he, he also said that he would have liked to have some of those fourth down decisions back. And, you know, really, I, I could give him a pass on some of those just because you're, you're viewing that in retrospect. Um, you know, and, and you, yeah, if you have the benefit of hindsight, knowing yeah. that the play didn't work, then, yeah, you could say that. But, you know, that's, you know, it, it, when you're down by as many points as they were down and you don't go for it on fourth down, you decide to kick it. Um, then you could, you know, you could take heat just the same for that. I, so I don't. I, I was less concerned about the four. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll echo that thought. I, I don't think, as I was watching the game, there were any fourth down decisions to go for it that I really, at the time. I mean, it's as you say. How did you feel at the time as a fan? I don't remember feeling at the time uh, outraged about any of the decisions. In fact, I think I agreed with all of them. I, I think where the 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 criticism comes in is what they ended up running. Um, and again, I'll go back to that fourth down play where it was fourth and inside of a yard and Russell changes the play based on what he saw and he throws a low percentage deep ball. I think it was to Malik Turner. I mean, I, I mean, as a fan, you're just ready to pull out all your hair over that. Um, there was also a curious uh, a couple of plays that he went for it on fourth down. I think it was right before Russell overthrew an open I don't remember who that was in the end zone. Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett. Yeah. It was the third down call by Schottenheimer that I didn't like. It was like third and four, and he ran the ball right into the middle of the line, and it got nothing, and ended up being fourth and four. I think it was the play before. I mean, If I have my no, my success, am I wrong he, about that? No, no, no. You're right. I yeah. believe it was a third and six play. They were, yeah, I think, inside the red zone. Right. And, and they, they called it, I think, an inside run to Carson. Now, yeah. what that you know when they went for it on fourth down after that, and you know, calling, a, a, calling a running play on third and six, uh, tells me that you're probably going to go for it on fourth down, that the plan all along uh, was even if you don't pick up that third and six, you're going to go for it. And so they're maybe trying to say, okay, instead of trying to get this, instead of trying to convert on third and six, let's maybe get half of this, uh, make that a shorter 
uh, you know, fourth down play. Um, that's my only explanation because if, if you're trying to convert on third and six, then, you know, an inside run on a day where you really don't have your running game yeah. is, is, not, is not, you know, what I would think that they would be thinking. And of all the comedy of errors, and I use comedy very loosely because <laughs> it wasn't funny to a lot of us, of all the comedy of errors, if you, if you pushed me, Brady, and said, okay, what's the play? What's the play of the game? I don't think there's any doubt about it because not only of the impact on the game, but of the impact of the, the overall situation with Chris Carson. Chris Carson busts, what, a 20, 24-yard run, has both hands on the ball, and then takes one hand off of the ball to kind of brace his fall. I don't know how, how many times you've seen the replay. When he takes his hand, the one hand off the ball to brace his fall, the guy knocks it out from behind. And then they pick it up. The Seahawks kind of stop, and they run it in for a touchdown. To me, that's the play of the game if there is one. Obviously, it turns, again, the whole, the whole momentum of the game and the score of the game, but it brings up, again, the Chris Carson discussion that I don't really want to have because I love the guy but we've all seen this happen before with running backs some running backs get into a spot where they start fumbling and then they start thinking about it and it becomes a little bit of one of those things you don't want to talk about too much because you know he he gives you a lot but he's obviously kind of right now in a bad place in terms of fumbling how do you view that? Did you talk to him? Did anybody talk to him after the game? And do you really think that Pete Carroll, who loves Chris Carson, would consider, and Brian Schottenheimer, kind of putting him on the sideline a little bit more and giving Penny, when he's healthy, more opportunities? Yeah, well, you know, you, you took the words out of my mouth. When you when I heard you say that you love Chris Carson, I was going to say, well, you know who else loves Chris Carson? It's Pete Carroll. And, you know, I, I kind of thought that, that Carroll might come down on Carson, more than he did after the game, but he was more supportive than anything. Um, you know, he said, you know, he, he said what a coach has to say, which is that Carson has to fix this issue. But he didn't say that in, in you know, an ultimatum sort of way, like, um, like it was, you know, uh, like he was threatening his playing time or anything. You know, he just talked about, you know, how they're going to fix it and everything. And I thought it was interesting. He, he basically described um, those three fumbles. And, and, you know, we're not counting the, you know, the, the one on the Blake. boxed handoff yes. last week in Pittsburgh. We're right. talking about the three you know actual Carson fumbles that were totally his fault you know he basically described those as, as better plays by the defense uh, than they were a, a function of Carson having loose ball security um, you know, he called them remarkable punches you know by the defenders there so um, he, he was not as, he did not come down on Carson in the way that I thought and um, you know I, it, that tells me that you're still going to see Carson being the lead back. Now I wonder if if maybe part of that today was the fact that you didn't have your next best running back in Rashad Penny, who was inactive. And, and I wonder if if it may have gone a little differently um, had he been active. But you know it just struck me how how supportive Carroll was of Carson afterwards. And Carson, yes, he he did speak to the media. He faced the music. Uh, and basically just said, you know, I got to keep my elbow tucked in on that play. Um, didn't really have uh, a ton, you know, didn't really reflect a ton on it. Um, you know, he also had the, the issue keeping his footing. Um, yeah. He switched to his place. Yeah. So just, just uh, not, not a great day for Chris Carson, but it doesn't sound like Pete Carroll has, has reached his breaking point quite yet. The voice of Brady Henderson of ESPN and ESPN.com will continue with Brady on the Seahawks and the Seahawks Saints game on Sunday. It's all, of course, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, who with six showrooms from Seattle down to Portland actually make it possible to not only connect with Brady, but all of our football-related guests this entire season. Remember, football season is fireplace season. 
you got to add a fireplace to your home or change out that crappy one for a new sleek model. It's more affordable and efficient than you'd ever expect all at Fireside Home Solutions. Here's what I suggest. Let the guys come out to your home for a free consultation and you're going to be surprised with the solution that they work for you, your budget, and your home. And then take a stroll into one of their showrooms. You will not believe the assortment. I was at the Bellevue location a few weeks ago. Old fireplaces waste a ton of energy and Fireside Home Solutions really simplifies the process. They also do outdoor barbecue setups and garage doors. Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. We're talking to Brady Henderson, ESPN and ESPN.com. When it's all said and done, Russell Wilson throws for 400-plus. Of course, a lot of that in mop-up and, and stat-padding situations. There were some underthrows, uh, some incomplete passes. There was a kind of an underthrow behind Dis, uh, Disley, which might have been a touchdown Uh, It was a catch, but it could have been a touchdown there. I think it was in the third or the fourth quarter. But overall, he ran the ball. I think he's running the ball. I think he's looking to run the ball more this year, early in the year, than I've seen in the last couple of years. It might speak to the way he feels health-wise. What kind of game on Sunday, what kind of grade overall would you give Russell Wilson for his performance against the Saints in a losing cause? Yeah, I would say A minus, and you know he, he did miss on on a number of throws, and it seemed to be you know the 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 miss was low on a number of those throws. Now you know, he got helped out a few times. You know, Will Disley made that catch. Uh, there was a few other receivers who you know seemed like they had to go to the ground uh, to to get those balls, but you know for the most part they made those plays. So um, and aside from that, I thought Wilson was was pretty good, and I was struck by this. You know, he had two rushing touchdowns in this game for the first time really he had not had a single rushing touchdown uh since week 12 of the 2017 season which i had to look at twice because i, I had a hard time believing that but um that was true and yeah he i thought he was just really effective um in the way that he moved around the pocket and it i did notice too that it maybe looked like like he was looking to run more than he does you know he will always say you know, he doesn't try to run he, he runs sort of when he has to um, it did look a few times like he was sort of looking to run maybe earlier than he normally did. But um, at the end of the day, you know, they had to put a lot on his shoulders today. 32 of 50 attempts, 50 attempts was a career high for him, uh, 400 yards. Um, you know, yes, he missed a few throws, but again, did not throw an interception for the third straight game. So, um, you know, for all the issues the Seahawks have or had in this game and have had this season, you know, they're going to be in every game. Uh, if Wilson plays the way he did, all even the, with those all throws. Brady, all of the insiders, the guys that you work at ESPN and with and some of the other guys, are all saying that if Jalen Ramsey gets traded, that the Seahawks are in the mix. Did the game on Sunday by the corners, of course, we talked about it, uh, Bridgewater only threw for about 177 yards. He got the ball out. But still, I see... Even on the touchdown, the fourth and goal play from the one, I see Flowers two or three or four yards off of uh, you know Michael Thomas, and they just throw it out to him for a touchdown. I just see instances that remind me that I don't know what people want the Seahawks to be. I want them to be a Super Bowl winner. Uh, that maybe they can be a playoff team by not addressing the secondary, but for them to get really to where they want to go, which is in the Rams and maybe even in the 49ers uh, area, they need to in, in, increase and improve the secondary play 
do you think there'll be players in this Ramsey deal, or do you not? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, I agree that, that the secondary has got to play better than it has. And, and again, you know, the, the first game, you could sort of write some of that off to, to game plan stuff. But, um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's still probably their, their biggest question mark uh, across the board. And as far as Jalen Ramsey, I have not gotten let, – let me rephrase that. I have gotten the sense that they are not – um, all that interested in him, okay. at least in terms of paying whatever price it would take. Certainly, every team should be interested in him. He's, you know, maybe the best cornerback in the NFL. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll let you in on a conversation I had with, um, you know, an NFL personnel guy who was also curious uh, to see if the Seahawks might be interested in Ramsey. And you know, I I posed the question that I think we may have brought up before, which is, um, you know, would a team like the Seahawks who have had a pretty long history under Pete Carroll and John Schneider of drafting and developing, you know, cornerbacks that you take, you know, in the middle to late rounds, you know, they've never drafted a cornerback higher than the third round under Carroll and Schneider. And, you know, I wondered it, would that history make them less willing to pay whatever steep price it would take in draft capital and, you know, dollars uh, to get Jalen Ramsey. And this personnel guy said, well, the difference is he's the best cornerback in the NFL, and you know any any person that you put him on, he's going to lock them down. So that is that is sort of an interesting counterpoint to that. Um, but again, I I just have not really gotten the sense. I've I've gotten the sense that they are not um, maybe as interested as as some other reports have indicated. Okay, Jerron Brown finally gets targeted late in the game the third week of the season how much are they paying Jerron Brown four plus million it's actually less so my understanding is when he so he was going to make 2.75 million dollars on his original deal they released him brought him back on a a smaller deal I think he's only making one one million in salary with another 500,000 in in some sort of incentives or per game roster bonuses but at any rate he, he did take a pay cut when he came back okay well he caught a few balls late in the game on Sunday in a losing cause mop up time and I just sit here wondering uh why I mean I'd rather see I mean Jerron Brown played what two and three quarters or two and four fifths games and didn't even get a ball thrown to him and I'm wondering what well, I'd rather see Greg Jennings I'd rather see John or Sue I'd rather see somebody some young receiver to try to find out what we have than than watch Jerron Brown run around and, and really not be a not even be a factor unless they're calling a penalty on him Brady yeah, and I was going to add to that. You know, in that Pittsburgh game, he he might have been a net negative because I think he was was flagged twice and and didn't get a ball thrown his way. So, um, I really wondered if if that was was going to start happening now that David Moore is back. And uh, as I look at the stat sheet right now, David Moore had that that one catch on two targets, uh, that that really nice you know sideline catch yeah. uh, where he went up and got the ball for a 29 yard gain, which is probably the thing that he does best going up and getting those you know, 50-50 balls down the sideline. Um, so I really wonder if David, now that David Moore is back, if you're going to maybe see a kind of a slow phase out or at least, you know, him maybe maybe leapfrogging him in the pecking order there um, just because, you know, as, as much as they talked about Jerron Brown having, you know, this increased role in the offense this year compared to last year when he was their number four receiver in terms of catches and playing time, we just haven't seen it so far. All right, the voice of Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. We'll ask about injuries to finish up and, and, and get a little look ahead to Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals who will be around 
or will be, you know the Seahawks will be there on Sunday in Glendale, Arizona. Before I do, I brought up this with Hotshot earlier in the episode. I'll bring it up with you, and I want you to tell me if it's just too early to even be talking about this. But you know me, I like to I like to say what's on my mind, so I'll say it. L.J. Collier was a was a healthy scratch on Sunday, right? Yes, correct. Presumably so, healthy because he was not on the injury report last week. Right, and he played the week previous. I'm looking at Monet, Ansa, Jackson, Green, Clowney, Woods, Ford, Jefferson. I'm counting at least eight. I might be missing somebody. All of which were active in the game against the Saints. Should I be concerned that the first round draft choice of the Seattle Seahawks, who's supposed to make an impact on the defensive line, who they raved about when they got him, even though he didn't have exhibition season, he was banged up, is not when healthy, good enough to be one of those eight in the rotation of a game. Should you be concerned? No, I, it's, it's certainly not ideal. You you obviously want to get you know early impact plays and early impact production from your first round pick, but you know they were pretty clear that L.J. Collier was, was sort of a raw player coming out of college, just because um, he really had only started I think for one season at TCU. So you're already talking about a raw player coming in, and then when he misses all that time in the summer that was you know, maybe more valuable to him than it would be for most rookies just because, again, he had not played as much football as a lot of other guys. I think that's part of what you're seeing now is just that, that missed time um, really hurting him. And it's also, and this is why I would be less alarmed and, and maybe look at it in sort of a positive way if this is possible, uh, but I think part of that is that Quentin Jefferson has really come on, and, and he has made that decision, I think, for them. Um, you know, he started, I believe he started all three of their games playing inside and outside. You know, he mentioned only getting two hits on Bridgewater today. He had both of those hits. Um, and, and so I think part of that equation is the fact that, you know, Quentin Jefferson and, Brent, to a lesser extent, Brandon Jackson has also played well. Um, so it, it's a combination of those things. Certainly not ideal, but, again, it, it's probably not – entirely surprising just because this was a raw player coming out of college who, by the way, missed a, some pretty important time over the summer. Nothing from Ansa to speak of on Sunday, right? 17 snaps or something like that? Yeah, that was I, I, that was the number I saw somebody put out there. I, I wasn't keeping track. Um, I know that you know he did not show up in the stat sheet in terms of tackles for loss or anything like that. Um, I saw him you know, sort of get cl- come close to getting a hit on Bridgewater. Uh, but that was really the, the the only thing I saw him do today. You know, I, I think they wanted to um, maybe not totally ease him in just because they felt like he was, you know, he had, his conditioning was okay. Um, so that was probably right around the, the playing time that they wanted to get him. Um, yeah, And, you know, you can't expect a guy playing his first game since December, his first game of any kind since last December to, to take over a game. But um, I would have expected to see him in the stat sheet for sure. Okay, injuries. Uh, from Sunday, you've got uh, Dwayne Brown coming out late in the game, although I think I heard somebody, maybe it was Pete Carroll, say that uh, Dwayne Brown could have come back in but will reevaluate it with an arm injury. I don't know what the McDougald injury was. They, they had a shot of him on CBS on the sidelines late. Anybody, uh, what do you know about those two, and there are anybody else that we need to know about as we get ready for the week leading up to Arizona? Yeah, it was an ankle injury for McDougald, and I, I believe that he came back into the game. That was so late in the game, and you know okay. that's usually when we have our heads buried in our computers. Um, but I believe that he came back into the game. Brown did not finish the game, but Pete said that he could have. 
Um, he called it a, a little, you know, minor upper arm strain. I talked to Brown afterwards. He said he was going to be okay. okay. Um, and the fact that he was available to the media, usually when a guy has a serious injury, they will be unavailable to reporters, but he was, he was there available. So um, I would take that as a good sign even though he didn't finish the game. Hawks and, be- and then the other one I'll add there is, yep. is Rashad Penny, who did not play. Right, right, uh, right. Pete, yeah, Pete said he had a good workout pregame, um, and he, he was looking at Thursday as the day when he might be able to, to get back to yeah. practice. So, again, with, with the Carson injury or with the Carson fumble situation, he becomes a, a pretty important player to monitor this week on the injury report. Hawks will be 3-1 and one at this time next week i think so yeah you know I, I i did not watch any of the cardinals game but i saw some of the stats from kyler murray um that's just not a very good you know that's a team that had the number one overall pick this year and um still breaking in a rookie quarterback as much you know promise as there is with kyler murray um you know he's still a rookie quarterback who has sort of struggled um but you know the the, the thing about that though is that you know Look! Look at what's happened at that stadium the past few years with the Seahawks. Oh. It seems like something crazy always oh. happens there. The six-six tie from 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know the the Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor injuries from 2017. The Earl Thomas injury right. and the middle finger last year. Um, by the way, that's also where Super Bowl 49 was. Uh-huh. Uh, not that I need to remind anybody of that. So some, something weird always seems to happen to them. And I think the weirdest thing about it is they actually haven't lost a regular season game there since Russell Wilson's first NFL game in 2012. Fireside Home Solutions, great enough to bring us our football-related programming, the New Heisels, the Kings, the Lock and Fours, and, of course, Brady Henderson of ESPN and ESPN.com joining us each and every week on Mitch Unfiltered. The Seahawks, unfortunately, a loser at home to Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints, and that drops them to 2-1, which on its surface doesn't, doesn't look so bad, but... When you consider that the 49ers and the Rams are now both 3-0, and there's some chasing to, to happen early in the season. We'll see how the Seahawks do in Arizona. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much, Brady. All right, you bet, Mitch. Talk to you later. Obviously, great to have Brady Henderson, the Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com on the Saints and the Seahawks and the Hawks are off to Arizona, Glendale to be exact, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals await in weekend number four. So you've heard me talk about Evergreen Golf Call for months and months and the incredible success that Tyler Hayes team in Bellevue, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley have had growing money for their high net worth individuals. And probably you've said like me, what about the common guy? How do we get involved? Evergreen has developed an answer. It's called Evervestment powered by Evergreen Golf Call, a digital investing platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. So using this online solution, you don't need to be a millionaire to get access to some of the great strategies that they use for their clients, all at a discounted fee. The same investment guidance that Evergreen's high net worth clients have been getting for years and years and years. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or your first day of retirement or something else, that yacht or that big trip, Evervestment can get you there. All you have to do is go to their site, evervestment.com, E-V-E-R, Vestment. It'll guide you through the process to start investing for your future today. Not a millionaire. Now you can invest like one anyway. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered.
Dolphins. I'm going with Georgia. I think that uh, as good as Notre Dame's been, I don't know that they're as fast as Georgia, and I think that'll catch up to them. I am going to lean Wisconsin in this Michigan game. I have not seen enough of Michigan's offense under Josh Gaddis. Eason off the play fake, throwing, zips one into the end zone. It is caught. Touchdown to Aaron Fuller. 17 yards. Here's pressure. Oh, the ball comes out. Wilson was popped in a big way at the 30, and it is picked up. And Washington running down the field. Brandon Wellington all the way for a touchdown. Zipped in there nicely. And Bocelli with speed. Nobody's going to catch him. Jacob Beeson at Washington, a transfer from Georgia. This is his year. This is his time to shine. He has the receivers, the line. He's got the running back. He's got everything in place to have a big year. He's got big-time size, big-time arm talent. He could certainly rise very highly up the board. They do get it off. Felton's got it in his hands, and the playmaker scores for UCLA. Hit from behind, and the ball is out. And the Bruins have recovered. Episode 58 continues, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. All of our football-related regular guests, including our next guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Here he is, Rick Neuheisel, who did a little SEC football over the weekend. You had uh, Auburn and, remind me, Auburn. a Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And you like being out of the studio and, and at, at games, or you'd rather be in the studio? Which is your pleasure? I, I appreciate game day. I love being in the atmosphere of a big game. And that was certainly the case in College Station, Texas. Uh, the Aggie uh, faithful were 100,000 strong and uh, anticipating a big SEC victory, but it was not to be. Gus Malzahn, who's back in his role as a play caller, which I think is significant, uh, in asking, you know, we, one of the things about getting to call a game is you get to have these uh, conversations with the coaches before the games. And Gus told me that he'll never coach again without calling plays. Uh, but he, he did a great job. He protected his freshman quarterback, Bo Nix. He got his legs involved. Uh, Anthony Schwartz had a brilliant 57-yard reverse run that got things going. You know, a year ago, these guys only mustered up 19 yards rushing against yeah. A&M. This was a much different day in the uh, War Eagle. The Tigers, the Bobber, are 1-0 in conference play. I guess before I have you segue over to what everybody's talking about in the Northwest, which was late, late, late on Saturday night, while you're in the SEC, uh, you thought that Georgia would beat Notre Dame fairly handily. I think you said that last week on our on our episode number 57. It was much more of a struggle for Georgia. You can talk about that and... How about the end of the California Ole Miss game? The uh, the controversial uh, third down play and then the way that ended and the subsequent, I guess, protests. Pac-12 officials, again, have blown it for the nation. What about that? <laughs> let's, let's start with the Notre Dame-Georgia game. I did think that Georgia had the better uh, uh, personnel, and I thought it would be uh, probably as the prognosticators, those who call themselves experts that live in the desert, had it as a two-touchdown game, and I thought that would be about right. But it's bittersweet for me, bitter in that I wasn't correct, but sweet in that my old uh, young coach, Clark Lee, who's now the defensive coordinator for the Fighting Irish, I thought did a wonderful job. He corralled uh, the Georgia running game, at least to the point where uh, it didn't get one-sided. He kept it, uh, the game in balance. Uh, 
Jake Fromm, the Georgia quarterback, was very, very good. But uh, I thought, you know, Notre Dame showed up for this game and went toe to toe. If this were a prize fight, it uh, you would have wait you would have waited at the end for and probably got a split decision. Yeah, twenty three seventeen is. Uh, I think every Georgia fan who was looking forward to this game came away saying the same thing: Notre Dame's a really good football team. Uh, in let's now move to the Grove, uh, where uh, Hottie Toddy lives. And <laughs> uh, this and and this this was a big game now for Matt Luke. You know, he was the co- the coach that took over when Hugh Freeze was let go. Uh, he's an old Miss alum. There is no athletic director, and there is no chancellor currently at Ole Miss. So, you know, he's sitting there trying to, you know, win favor with the constituency, uh, and hopefully those who are appointed here in the near future will say, hey, let's just keep the guy who's right here. He's one of us. But uh, this loss puts him at 2-2. Two and two. I know late in the game there was some question. There was a ball thrown into the flat that looked like it crossed the goal line, but none of the angles that I saw were definitive. And the guy standing on the goal line, I know he was a Pac-12 official, but he had the best view. He said the ball never crossed the plane. They marked it on the one. Precious ticks went off the clock. They tried to do a uh, quarterback sneak. And Justin Wilcox, and I think this is an important time to say what a great job Justin Wilcox is doing at Cal as the head coach and also the architect of the defense because they kept him out. They win 28-20 on the road in a, in a tough environment down there in, in Oxford, Mississippi. And they're 4-0, uh, which is a fantastic deal. But listen to this. Just three years ago, actually just two years ago, when, when uh, Sonny Dykes left Cal, they were 129th in scoring defense. In two years, la- two years later, yeah, Justin Wilcox – had these guys down to 24th. He went over 100 spots wow. in the 130 teams in Division One in scoring defense just by tenacity and by, you know, gap assignments, and it's just a remarkable job of coaching. So uh, thumbs up for all that's going on in Cal. But at the same time, you talk about that the side judge or whatever you want to call him or her uh, had a, had the best view of it. I think the the outrage seems to be. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Is that nobody stopped the game to look at this? That this was an important enough play to say, all right, hold hold on, hold on. We're going to take a look at this to make sure that this player was not in on that third down play, Rick. That that, that and that's I agree should have been done. It's it's much like uh, the game we had on CBS the the week previous with South Carolina and Alabama where it looked as if South Carolina had scored right before the half, and they called him down with his knee on the ground, even though the camera angle showed that the knee never touched. Why don't you stop it and take a look? Uh, In that case, uh, you had Will Muschamp with a timeout, and he didn't use it. In this case, Matt Luke didn't have the timeout, so he didn't have the opportunity, and you're just wondering why you don't. But I think the, the lesson in this, is that coaches need to be absolutely ready to go and not thinking that they're going to get this this magic little uh, impromptu timeout right. that is going to go up and look in, in the box. Right. You keep playing and let the officials do what they will with the uh, replay. There's still people bustling in the Northwest about what happened late, late, late on Saturday night, Sunday morning on the East Coast. Of course, you know that the University of Washington faithful love to use the phrase Coogan it. 
And I suggested at the beginning of this podcast that people thought they knew what Kuganit meant, but it turns out none of us knew what Kuganit meant until Saturday. <laughs> until, until Saturday night, you're up 30. Uh, Rick, you're up 32 against the beloved UCLA Bruins. 32, they hang 50 on you. You have a quarterback that throws for nine touchdown passes, and it's not enough as UCLA comes back under Chip Kelly and shocks the uh, the late the late uh, stayers up those that didn't go to bed so early uh, 67 to 63 I'm not sure whether that was a great football game or a horrendous <laughs> football game which one was it you know what I love about our conversation weekly Mitch <laughs> is I'm always curious as to what word you're going to use that hasn't been I haven't heard in the lexicon out there <laughs> bustling bustling with bustling. that word. Yes. Okay. okay and then and then you quickly morph to cooging it and then you said whether or not this was a good game or a bad game it depends on which glasses you're wearing offensive coaches glasses or defensive coaches' glasses. I had a conversation today with Nick Aliotti, who, you know, the longtime yeah, defensive sure. coordinator for Oregon, who works with the Pac-12 network. We worked together there for a couple of years. He is literally rolling over just in, <laughs> in shock that such a thing happened last night, that, that game. And I watched all of the second half. As you know, my son is a coach for UCLA. Yep. And I keep telling him to keep his chin up. Be the most positive guy in the building. Tell those kids, regardless of circumstances, that they can find a way to come back. No matter what the stakes are, you walk up and down that sideline and you say, this is going to be the greatest comeback in the history of UCLA football. And lo and behold, lo and behold, he does that. He walks up and down these sidelines, and then it began. 32 down, 49-17. Let me give you some numbers. Washington State's, I think offensively, gained over 700 yards. 700 yards, nine touchdown passes. You oh. touched on that oh. and lost. Oh. 700. Can you imagine being the oh. defensive coordinator coming in and saying, hey, you gave up over 700. Oh. You gave up nine touchdown passes, oh but you won. It oh. was a remarkable, remarkable football game. I don't know that it's really set in what I saw. The 50 points were scored in 33 plays. When, that, when, that, when, when they were down 49-14, the drives that ended up becoming this deal, and one of them, of course, was a punt return. But in 33 plays of offensive football, they scored 50 points. And I'm just like in shock. I heard Mike Leach say we came out loose and we came out soft. And I think both are an understatement. The tackling in that second half looked as if flag football yeah. was in vogue yeah. in Martin Stadium. Yeah. And that cannot be ever forgiven. And I think they'll watch that film ad nauseum until those kids understand. Because we've seen the Cougars play such good football. This was a top 20 team. This was a team that won 11 games last year. The standard had been set. It was unforgivable if you're a Cougar. But I was so excited for Jerry Neuheisel. Because not only did he tell him it could happen, but it did. And that's what's great about college athletics. And by the way, um, you were just telling him to be the way Rick Neuhausel would be because there's only one. Very much so. There's only one guy that I know, one guy that I know that could convince me on a golf course when I'm seven holes down with six holes to play 
that there's still a chance. <laughs> we got him. We got him right where we want him. <laughs> there's only one guy who could convince me. I'd be walking off the golf course down seven, lo- losing seven and six, and 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 Rick Neuheisel would say, "Hold on a minute." Yeah, there's a way here. There is so I know we don't have enough holes. There is a way, and you could convince me. So I am. I'm assuming the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, when you talk about the defense that was played by Washington State, all what you said is obviously true. They didn't tackle. They didn't play. But there is this dialogue. Interesting articles that I've, I've read in the last 24 hours about. Okay, is this the side effect? of a Mike Leach offense. That 100%. Is th- that is 100%. That is up-tempo, this up-tempo, up-tempo. Exact- does he have to uh, – to me, it's funny because somebody said to me to, 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 today, Mitch, why don't they just slow down? They're up 32. And, I, it, you know, to my mind, I'm just – I don't get it. I, I mean, why can't they walk up to the line, do what Matt Ryan of the Falcons does, which is he gets under the center and then they all stand up. He looks to the sideline, then he goes back. Before it's all said and done, it's like three seconds, two seconds on the play clock, and then they snap the ball. I guess it's just not in their DNA to slow down when they're up by so many points, right? Not only do they not slow down, but they don't run the ball. They still throw. It is absolutely on the offense as well. I am not condemning just Tracy Clays and that defensive crew. I am condemning the entire deal. This is the third biggest comeback in the history of FBS football. My son was also part of the second greatest comeback (laughs) in FBS football as he was a GA for Texas A&M that had a 44-10 lead over the same UCLA team in the Rose Bowl as Josh Rosen was the quarterback, and they gave up the ship. And in that game, Kevin Sumlin refused to let the clock run down, refused to run the ball, refused to realize he had enough points. All he needed now was to get rid of time. And that was exactly the case last night. Now, Mike Leach was not helped by the fact that there were careless fumbles, uh, you know, inopportune sacks and things of that nature. But but the clock should have been milked and milked and milked and milked the object of taking the field every time in intercollegiate athletics is to find a way to win the game find a way to come back into the locker room and sing whatever fight song you know the words to and enjoy that moment (laughs) and when you squander that just by sitting out there and paying no attention to the scoreboard and letting Uh. clock stay on there and giving hope a chance uh, on that other sideline this is going to be the result eventually, and this is exactly what happened last night in Pullman. Allow me to remind everybody that football season is also fireplace season, and you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't take a look and see if a fireplace is right for your home. Go to firesidehomesolutions.com and let them come to your home and give you an evaluation. I, I, I do want to leave the Pac-12 and get to weekend number four, whatever's coming up. I, I lose track of the weekends. But I think you and I talk about what makes college football so special. These these little stories. I think last episode of this podcast, you and I talked about the Arkansas State coach and the way the Georgia Bulldog, yeah, yeah, the way they yep. they handled him, um, and just a wonderful and the show. Of his wife Wendy. Yeah, exactly it was such right. a wonder, wonderful thing. Look, I don't want to get melodramatic. I don't care much about USC. I know Washington's going to face USC this coming Saturday. But this guy who's the quarterback who threw for 351 yards was the third-string quarterback, Rick, and he, he could have Max, transferred, yeah. right? He could have gone to University of Illinois, been a graduate, uh, a graduate transfer, and he decided, what the hell? 
I'm from L.A., I'll hang out, I'll give it a go, I'll be supportive of my teammates. And before you know it, it it, it only took about three weeks for the third-string quarterback to be in there against a Utah team that I think was in the top 10 and to to engineer an upset and throw for 351 yards. Don't we love that about that kid? And I don't know anything about him, but that about college football. Isn't that wonderful? Wasn't that a wonderful story? It's a wonderful story. Matt Fink is his name. He uh, was listed as the number three guy in the depth chart, and his dad had him already in the portal. I mean, he was his dad said, I'm leaving. But uh, Matt said, Dad, have you seen the girls on campus? <laughs> and said, I'm staying. And, uh, and he hung in there, and he said, you know, the definition of opportunity is when preparation and uh, opportunity collide. The definition of, of good luck is when uh, opportunity and preparation collide. And there they were. Opportunity, he was prepared. The opportunity presented itself. And uh, he went out there and had a whale of a game and, and, and uh, helped. And let me say this also. You know, we in the media, and I now count myself in that number, we see things and we make predictions and we just because that's the way it's going to be. And it may very well turn out that the USC Trojans make a change at their coaching position. It may very well turn out that they say Clay Helton's not the guy for our future. You know, we're going to get a new athletic director. We're going to make a change. But it won't be because Clay Helton didn't reach his guys. That team on Friday night played about as hard as I've seen a team play in recent memory for their coach. They knew Urban Meyer was going to be on that sideline. They knew Urban Meyer was going to be talking in the pregame, in the halftime, in the postgame. And they knew that all the noise was that Urban Meyer was going to be offered this opportunity there to coach the Trojans, help save not only USC, but the Pac-12. That was the narrative. And it's a, it's a sexy narrative for those of us in the media. But that team, especially when Slovis went down, Keaton Slovis, their yeah. freshman, yep. went down, they played as hard as I've seen a team play against a top 10 team. And I think Utah is really good. I had some questions as to why they played as much man coverage as they did. But ultimately, it was about USC and the frenetic place, pace that they played that won that game. And that speaks volumes about the way they love their coaching staff and namely how they love Clay Elton. I have no idea how they'll play this week. I think the Huskies will probably have more than enough in the tank to beat the Trojans uh, as they travel up to Seattle. But I'm telling you, you're going to play a team that really likes their coach and is going to play their tails off. It is. I, I just tip my hat to Clay Helton and that staff. Okay. I'll ask you for some picks. You you were kind of one and one-ish, even though you said Georgia would win. They didn't win by as many as you thought, but you also thought Wisconsin would beat Captain Khaki Pants, as you call him, or Coach Khaki Pants. Yes. Uh, and you, you were right on that, and that running back goes for over 200 yards. Before we get there, though... And had you asked, I would have told you Cal was going to beat... Oh, all right, I'll give you credit. All right, I'm going to... Ole Miss. But I would have also said... Utah was going to beat SC. So two and two. <laughs> okay, okay. But what you didn't see, we talked before we started the recording, what you didn't see was Jacob Eason, I think, looking better considering all the circumstances than he has since he walked out of Lake Stevens onto the campus in Athens, Georgia. Uh, he played a pretty good BYU. I'm not sure how good they got some votes for the top 25, but he really 
threw the ball around. He made some throws, Rick, in that game in tight, tight windows. He zipped some balls that were really NFL-quality throws. And while everybody celebrated a very easy, an unexpected, very easy win over BYU, the whispers are already starting around here. Is it a one-and-done? Are the pro scouts salivating over the big arm of Jake uh, of Jacob Eason, and uh, might we only see him in Montlake for one season? Is it way too early to talk about that? It's probably too early to talk about that, but I would say if if I were a Husky fan, I would enjoy Jacob Eason as much as I could this year Yeah, because I do think he's an NFL talent. I think, absolutely think he's an NFL talent, and uh, there will be a lot of voices in his ear telling him why it's time to go. Uh, so don't worry about that. Just enjoy this year, and uh, we'll watch and see as he continues to grow and evolve in Chris Peterson's offense. Uh, a big week this week as USC comes to town, and a desperate USC, still desperate because they know the stakes. Uh, they follow this game with Washington with a bye week, and then they travel to Notre Dame. So the next two weeks for the Trojans are are really, really important as they point towards the end of the season. And for Washington, you know, despite an early loss, it doesn't look maybe as bad as Cal sits here now at 4-0. And and maybe uh, Washington can get going and have an impressive win over the Trojans and, and to get to another conference title game and, and see what happens nationally and see if they can't sneak into this playoff picture. But uh, I, I think Jacob Eason is, is a definite NFL talent. Okay. And Rick brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Look, at I don't see a lot of marquee, marquee, marquee matchups in the college football top 25 this week. I see UC, USC, and Washington. That's two ranked teams. I do want to get your feeling. Uh, you told me that you think probably Washington will beat USC. Do you think that Washington State will rebound in a very – I think it's an interesting matchup in, in uh, Salt Lake against Utah. Washington State and Utah, who are you picking in that game? A monster game in Utah. A get-off-the-mat game. I, I'm going to go with Utah just because of the relentless pass rush. I think they're going to look at themselves. And again, I, I said to you a week ago that I thought the Washington State receiver core was about as skilled as I'd seen. The way they caught the ball in Houston was off the charts. But they're going to have to really look at themselves in the mirrors. Not It wasn't necessarily drop passes, but it was fumbles. It was just the inattention to detail as to try to protect the ball that ended up costing the Cougars that win. So I think there's going to be a real... Uh, focus in practice in both both camps, both uh, Salt Lake and in Pullman. I think it's going to be a whale of a game, but I'm going to go with the, the mighty must, the mighty Utah student section getting uh, Utah over the tape and the, and the Utes getting the victory. And through four weeks, your top four in order, top four Heisman Trophy contenders through four weeks. Oh, I still, I'm Jalen Hurts. I think he's just the popular, the, the people love Jalen Hurts okay. and his story. That's one. He's been playing sensationally. Tua Tungabailoa is still charming and, and putting up monster numbers. Sam Ellinger, uh, I think, wears a cape for that Texas team. And I'm going to put uh, Jonathan Taylor in that foursome as well as he goes for over 200 yards and the Badgers look really formidable in the uh, Big Ten. Uh, How about probably, the LSU quarterback? I, How's the LSU quarterback? Joe Burrow. Yeah. Joe, Joe Burrow's right there, too. Joe Burrow's right there, too. And, and and people would say, why wouldn't you have Burrow over Ellinger? Just because I think Ellinger uh, has an easier time getting – and maybe it's not fair in answer to your question because it's a right-now question. Yeah. So let's put Burrow four 
4A and 4B. Let's let let's put Burrow in there. But I don't think Burrow will make it to the finish line. I think Ellinger has a better chance to. Okay. Okay. And you will be where next week? Back in the studio or back at a game? Back in the studio. Back in New York City on okay. uh, West 57th Street between 10th and 11th. Okay. Yes. And uh, looking forward to bringing you Ole Miss traveling to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where the Crimson Tide are waiting in uh, in in big time earnest yep. to accept uh, all that the uh, hottie toddies have in mind. I don't think the hottie toddies have much of a chance, but what do I know? You're the expert. <laughs> You're the expert, Rick. Thank you very much for being on episode 58, and we'll talk to you on 59 next week at some point. Thanks so very much, Rick Neuheisel. I appreciate it, and I probably would have said that you didn't think UCLA had much of a chance last <laughs> week either, and how do you feel about that, my friend? I feel... As if I'm seven down with six to play. <laughs> Take care, my friend. There he is, Rick Neuheisel of CBS, the former head football coach of Colorado and Washington in UCLA. Will there be another stop in his future? Also, the AAF. Does he not just sound great on radio shows and on podcasts? I love our visits with Rick Neuheisel talking college football. I also very much enjoyed being at the Linwood location of Zeke's Pizza on Sunday for the St. Seahawks game. Lots and lots of fun. 16 free pizzas we had out there. I got the first eight, and then Dan Black of Zeke's Pizza got the next eight. We'll continue to rotate around and do Seahawks viewing parties at some of the Zeke's Pizza locations. Tweet me. Let me know which one you'd like for us to go to next. And you guys do realize that if you can't come to Zeke's Pizza to watch the game, Zeke's Pizza can come to you, a terrific delivery service. Download and use their mobile app and order online at Zeke'sPizza.com or call 206-285-8646. As I like to say, it's not a third-party delivery service. This is Zeke's bringing it right to your door. Mix and match, order six different beers, whatever you like, just as long as the minimum order is $15. It's time to watch sports at home and have Zeke's Pizza delivered. 206 206- 285-8646 Zeke'sPizza.com or their mobile app We love Zeke's Pizza on Mitch Unfiltered Homegrown in the Northwest Unfiltered Yeah, it's a busy weekend Number three in the National Football League Yeah, college football is uh, well into its action But I want a journey away from sports For just a few minutes Joining me on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Joe Flint. He's a writer for the Wall Street Journal, and his his article this week on Netflix buying the exclusive rights to my favorite show, Seinfeld, for like $500 million caught my eye, and I was like, what the, what, what, what's going on in the world of streaming video? And then, and, and then the amount of battling and crazy figures that these services are paying for old shows is way beyond my ability to comprehend. So, Joe, thanks for joining us. Explain... To me, if you can, this this in, incredible war between all these services to get reruns of old shows like The Big Bang Theory and Friends and Seinfeld and all that stuff. Hi. Well, first, thanks for having me on. And uh, it is a little insane right now. Uh, basically, you know, for many years, Netflix was sort of the, you know, had the monopoly on streaming. They bought up a lot of old classic shows, like you mentioned, Friends, The Office. Uh, and then, you know, then began to make more original programming as well and really began to take away a lot of viewers from the traditional networks and media companies. 
So now those companies are thinking, well, I got to be in streaming too. And so we have Warner Media, which is now owned by AT&T. We've got Disney and we've got NBC Universal, which is part of Comcast, all launching streaming services. CBS, of course, has one already. And you know, not only do you, and Apple, of course, uh, I should mention Apple, yeah. uh, not everyone uh, has <clears throat> a ton of original shows to launch with yet. They will. They're making original shows. But having what is always sort of called comfort food programming is very important. The office is huge on Netflix. It's basically their most watched show. And so NBC, when they had a chance to buy it and outbid Netflix for it and move it to their streaming service in a couple of years, they did that because their hope is if they have a lot of that sort of content that people know and are familiar with, they'll check out the service, they'll subscribe, and then maybe they'll sample the new shows as well. And so there is this bidding war going on for, for a lot of shows because people want that you know, want that content that'll bring in either keep their customer base or bring in new ones. Are people getting the streaming systems instead in lieu of cable and, and direct TV and satellite? I mean, I I remember when my sons came to me and they said, it was my oldest son who said, I'd like Netflix, dad, will you get Netflix? And it's funny that you mentioned the office because we got them Netflix for some uh, holiday present and the first thing both boys did, age ages like 15 and 12, was watch The Office from beginning to end. I never even watched The Office when it was on TV, despite the fact that my, my two parents are from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Are people subscribing to these services in addition to or in lieu of what I remember of TV? Both. There is a rise in what we call cord cutting and call people who have dropped their cable cord cutters or the younger generation that's just never even subscribed to cable are cord nevers. And basically part of that is, look, you're, you're in sports, so you have to have your direct right, TV or right. your full cable package with right. all those channels. And right. I certainly have that as well. But those sports networks and, and content drives up the price of the bill. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people who aren't into sports, they're, they and don't necessarily need the urgency of their television, then they, they cut the cord and they can go get Netflix. They can go get Hulu. They can, you know, cherry pick these different services based on their programming. And some of them even have local TV stations. If you get a Sling TV or Hulu has, carries local TV as well. So you can build something pretty similar to a traditional cable package through streaming and maybe save a few bucks. The voice is Joe Flint of the Wall Street Journal. Read his stuff. It's very good, and you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, Joe Flint is the is the guest of the Wall Street Journal. He wrote an article like everybody has about this Netflix story buying Seinfeld for a five-year, kind of a $500 million-plus deal. Uh, I read in your piece, Joe, that in 2015, the same... Seinfeld shows they haven't made any new ones were were six years 130 that that Hulu paid six years 130 million now that was only U.S. rights and now whatever it is four years later it's 500 million plus for five years if you do the math on that I did the math before you came on if it costs 13 bucks a month 
to to uh, to get a subscription to Netflix over 12 months. That's one hundred and fifty six dollars for them to break even on new subscribers. They would need six hundred and fifty thousand new subscribers a year to make it work for a hundred million dollar a year deal for Seinfeld. Is it worth it in your estimation? Well, we'll see. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, all, the, all that math and uh, and some of it's even, you know, I haven't admittedly gone that deep into it. But at the same time, it was important for Netflix strategically to get Seinfeld because they are losing The Office and Friends. So in theory, you know, the, the, the money they were paying for those shows is now going to, to Seinfeld. So it may roughly be a, you know, a little bit of a wash. They're probably paying a little more because they really kind of had a sweetheart deal on The Office. I mean, when they bought The Office, no one knew it was going to turn into this huge show for them. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and it is worldwide uh, rights, and that's important to Netflix, although... Honestly, the people I talk to who uh, have been selling reruns of Seinfeld for decades say internationally the show's appeal has always been somewhat limited. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, Netflix likes to have global rights. When they have a show, they want to be able to show it everywhere. So I I think it is. I mean, I I don't know. You know, ultimately, we may look back five or ten years from now and there will only be two streamers left and the, the others all went belly up buying a bunch of old TV shows. So who knows? But I understand the rationale behind Netflix's decision to buy Seinfeld. All right, what I want to know, which you probably don't know the answer to, is Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. I read somewhere, it may have been your piece or another piece, that the rerun rights over the years, syndication rights, are up to like $3 billion they've brought in in rerun syndication rights. Now there's another, I mean, back then they didn't know much about streaming. Now there's another $500 million over the next five years. There was $130 million over six years. Is Jerry, is Jerry's doing okay for him? Jerry and Larry, I'm assuming, are doing okay for themselves, Joe. Sure. I mean, they are what, uh, you know, what's known in industry uh, language as profit participants in the show. They're the co-creators. So they've always had a piece of the show and a piece of what's known as the back end. That's all the reruns and streaming deals and everything. So every one of these deals, A, they kind of have the right, they have to sign off on it and say, yes, this looks good because, you know, the, the, there's a lot of a lot of these shows are moving within the same company. That's not the case with Seinfeld. It's very complicated. But Sony is the company that sells Seinfeld. Warner Brothers is the company that actually owns the IP. Right, because uh, they bought it. But yeah. other, right? Yeah, they yeah. they bought the studio that that made Seinfeld. But right. When you look at a show like Friends, well, that's going from Warner Brothers the studio to the Warner Brothers streaming service. So they have to make sure that the deals above board, that they're paying market value or else the content, the creators, those profit participants, they can, they can sue and turn it into a big legal mess. And that has happened a lot in the industry over the years. So, yeah, you know, presumably these companies are trying to do right by the creators. And, and yes, and Jerry can buy another hundred Porsches (laughs) if he needs them. Joe, you're a fan of the Washington Redskins, I noticed on your Twitter. So what I want you to do in, in, in streaming vernacular is tell me about the NFC East. Tell me about the, the playing field. Obviously, Netflix is way ahead, though I did see a note in your piece that they lost subscribers for the first time recently ever. I think I understand yeah. this. So Seinfeld goes from Vudu, which is owned by Disney, to Netflix. Friends goes from Netflix to to something new from AT&T Warner. The Office 
goes to another new service that's going to be launched in 2021 from NBC Universal. So if you would, give me the playing field, give me the players, give me the NFC East of, 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 uh, of video streaming, if you would. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say this up front. I don't want to tag any company by saying they're the Washington Redskins of the streaming <laughs> world right now. But I will say, looking at the standings, you know, just two weeks in, it's safe to say, look, Netflix is still the Dallas Cowboys, um, you know, that we're seeing right now. How, <laughs> how know, many subscribers? Very, how many subscribers? They're very strong. How many subscribers? Um, in the U.S., I mean, worldwide, Netflix has, you know, over 150, you know, 160 million, I think it's about 160 million subscribers. In the U.S., their numbers did drop slightly okay. in the second quarter. It's still, you know, they have 60 million subs here. I think we'll all be very curious to see what those third quarter numbers are. That'll that's when Stranger Things, the new season, came back, and we'll see if there's a spike up. But if not, I mean, this is one of the challenges for Netflix. When you know, has their growth in the U.S. plateaued? And if so, then what do they do? Can they continue to keep spending so much on programming if their growth is plateauing? And what's going to happen when Disney comes on the scene with a service that's half the price? I mean, if you've got kids. Uh, young kids, you're going to buy that Disney service. Will you then keep Netflix or or yeah, not? It's yeah, going to be yeah. very interesting. So who's who's second? Who's catching them? Well, I mean, right now it's sort of tough to say. I mean, none of these players are on the field. But if you're saying like, you know, my own take from just covering this for a little while now and seeing is, I just think Disney has a very strong brand, and and I do think Disney's going to come out and and. You know, of of the Disney, Warner, and NBC Universal one, we won't even touch Apple for a second. I, I just look at the Disney brand and all the content they have, yeah. and think that they're going to come out of the gate very strong. I think it's going to be a little tougher for Warner Brothers, Warner Media, and this is a little complex. I don't want to like get people bogged down in the weeds of all this, but Warner's service is basically what's called HBO Max. They're basically using the HBO name and brand and platform to launch a bigger service, which on the one hand makes sense. HBO is a great name. Everyone knows it. We think quality. The downside to that is they have to price it in a certain way or else they get in trouble with all the people like your DirecTVs and your other operators, your Comcast, who carry HBO now. So they can't offer a cheap six dollar service like disney it it will have to cost 14 15 16 dollars and you know in reality they'll charge a few bucks more for a ton more content but to the consumer the new consumer they might be like well wait disney is six dollars this one's 17 why would i buy this one so i think they're gonna have to really figure out how to market it and uh, i'm not entirely convinced with the with the strategy there but there are smarter people than me and then nbc is a very safe one because they're owned by comcast it's free to comcast subscribers they're going to try to make it free to anyone who still has a cable uh service whether it's comcast or not you've got yeah. direct tv yeah. they want to work it out so that you'll get this for free yeah. and then they'll sell it to the cord cutters yeah. at a probably you know same ballpark six bucks just, or something just sounds to me like we're just moving slowly, slowly towards the inevitable, which is all of live TV. The cable companies are going to go away. 
The satellite companies are going to go away, and all of live TV is going to be on this service. We're going to watch our local stations on Netflix. We're going to watch live sports. We're going to watch live events, shows on networks, and it's just going to be... It's just going to be these streaming services, or am I wrong about that? Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, I will say, I mean, Netflix, you know, up until now, and 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 currently, has been very adamant about not wanting sports, not wanting to get into live programming. It's very, it's a different technical model, and it takes really good technology. I mean, every week, you know, if you're on Twitter every week, you're reading something about. DirecTV now services, you know, problems with it or, you know, HBO when Game of Thrones is streaming and then suddenly 10, you know, 10 million people are having trouble watching the webcast. So it's a challenge to do live linear TV. But that said, yeah, some sports are certainly going to transition. I mean, Amazon carries Thursday night football. Um, You know, I think uh, other folks will, will do the same and we may get there. But There'll still be a need for local television, local sports channels, um, all those things. But, yeah, there's going to be a huge shakeout. The flip side to that is all these streaming services were in theory launched so that people who were tired of paying for a big cable bundle would have an option. Only now we've got so many services and so many shows spread out over all those services. Maybe the savings aren't going to be that much different. So we're going to see. I mean, there's going to be a reckoning at some point you know, down the road with all this. Well, when you think about one show, Seinfeld being over $500 million for five years, $100 million a year, the cost of that show, that's just one show. But then I did the math while you were talking. You said there was $160 million essentially, subscribers of Netflix paying $13 a month. That means their subscription fees alone, they're bringing in over $2 billion. $2 billion alone in subscription fees each month to Netflix. So it puts it kind of in its in its proper perspective, but it just seems like a lot of money for one show. Uh, a show by the, a show by the way that we can watch on regular TV. I mean, there there are there are syndicated shows all every time I turn around I put on the TV and Seinfeld's on. I don't need Netflix right. to watch TV, right? No, no, you don't need Netflix to see the Big Bang Theory. You don't need no, it. No. Or, I'm sorry, you don't need the Warner one. I mean, I guess the main thing is that it is Younger, the younger generation, they really are anti-commercial. I mean, look, yeah. I don't love commercials, but I've been dealing with them my whole life. Right, so it's like right. they're there. I accept it. But, you know, younger generations who have grown up in the streaming world where there's fewer or no commercials, a whole other thing. And they're yeah. like, well, why yeah. would I watch this with commercials yeah. if I don't have yeah. to? It's radio to podcast. Like, it's yeah, very, 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 yeah. very similar. Joe, Joe Flint, Wall Street Journal writer, technology writer, streaming service writer. Read his stuff in the Wall Street Journal. Follow him on Twitter. What's your what's your uh, username on Twitter? How do we follow you on Twitter? Um, at J.B. Flint, F-L-I-N-T. Just, uh, you know, if you're not into football or anything, don't follow me on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thanks for joining us. All the best to you. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. All right, great. Thanks a lot. So there's Joe Flint of the Wall Street Journal on the cutthroat competition and world of streaming video services. Netflix paying more than $500 million just for one show. Seinfeld, that's just a... That's just a world with which I'm unfamiliar. Uh, Big news for those of you who love Daniel's Broiler and world-class steaks and seafood like I do. 
You know by now the Schwartz family built a brand new Daniels broiler right there in the heart of downtown Seattle in the new Hyatt Regency. Seattle is a world-class city with an international business reputation, and this is a new vision for Daniels, designed to serve the needs of Seattle's business community and those who live downtown. The new downtown Daniels is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels' world-class quality and hospitality is now available for your business meeting or social event seven days a week at your convenience. If you have a large party, the downtown Daniels makes it easy. Use the new Daniels app or open table for online reservations for up to 14 or simply call the downtown Daniels to make your reservation for a party of any size. More good news after 5 p.m. Parking at the downtown Daniels is now $8. Daniels downtown at the new Hyatt Regency built to take care of the needs of a world-class international city. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. So it was a good day for your Huskies. They were six and a half point favorites in pro. That was a team that apparently got votes for the top 25. That was not supposed to be a pushover team, and they just went in there and rolled them. Yeah, I don't feel like BYU is ever a pushover. I know they play in like a smaller conference, but it's always scary to go into their into their stadium and try to get out of it. I was happy with it. And Jacob Eason, oh, BB's I, darts. Whew, I told you after week one, he looked special, and you're like, yeah, what do you know about quarterbacks? No, I didn't. I didn't now, say that. Yeah, yeah, you did. Oh, what do you know about who quarterbacks? Are you to judge a quarterback. Well, I mean, Jacob Eason is looked different when I first saw him. It just did. Maybe it was four years of Browning, who you know I love, of course. He did well, a this great guy's job. got a much bigger arm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he was really, really good on Saturday. The Huskies were really, really good. They face USC this coming Saturday. A USC team that that was really weird. Do you, do you know what the USC team did last week? Yeah, they lost to BYU, right? <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. yes. And, they, they, and then they turned around and beat Utah, who's supposed to be one of the best two or three teams in the Pac-12. Uh, they were top ten in the country, by the way. I watched almost. And they were under USC was underdogs at home, and they had their third string, the, the second string quarterback. Didn't even know what what part of LA he was in after he got hit. Yeah, he was on. He was completely in La La Land. And a third-string quarterback comes in and throws for 351 yards against Utah. This is a third-string guy. He's like a junior who was supposed to transfer at the end of last year to, like, Illinois as a graduate transfer. Now he's playing, and he stayed, decided to stay there, and he's thrown for 351. Some guy named Fink or Mink or something like that. It's from Rancho Cucamonga right in the area there. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, he had a great – this yeah. was when I was at the airport in Burbank, California on Sunday. I was yeah. leaving, and there's some sad Utah fans. Jesus. They were just so – I mean, still, even on Sunday, their faces were just blank. They just, like, didn't know what hit them. They were number 10 in the country. And USC looked like a joke, right? They were going to go in there and roll them. Did you, I don't know if you watched much of that game. No, USC I didn't. came I didn't. out with a passion. It was chippy. There was penalties. They just said, we're not, this is not happening. Are you wor- you're worried that Washington's going to lose in Los Angeles this week? I was actually worried. No, I'm not. I think we're getting them at a great time. I feel like they left it all out there. They okay. must have got their butts ripped at practice by the coach after losing after to BYU. Because yeah. 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 they looked inspired. Did you watch the Washington game from beginning to end? I did. I saw it uh, on a replay. I was on a hike. And then I came back and I watched a lot of the second half, but I missed. I heard on radio our buddy Tony Castricone describe mm. the uh, the targeting play on Joe Tryon, uh, and he got oh, thrown yeah. out of the game, ejected from the game, and now he has to sit out the whole first half of the USC game too. I think. Yeah, I was gonna. Actually, Did you see that play? Do you remember that play? I don't. I asked mean, on Twitter whether it was a good call. But of course, 
Husky. Ah, it's a bullshit call. Yeah, right, right. The Pac-12 officials. That was terrible. That was a terrible call. Husky right? fans not known, you know, to for- be to objectivity. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I saw another one. To, it was the Michigan. It was McCaffrey's brother, who's the quarterback at Michigan. I want to say. Anyway, he took a he took one to the head. I thought he killed him. And I I heard that he has to sit out. Uh, that the safety has to sit out for a first half. So I was going to ask you. Does that seem like enough first half? Just one half for those hits, or do you think? Well, it's sometimes much, I th- sometimes well, I don't think that there should be. And I what do I know? I, I don't think there should be a blanket rule. I feel like every once in a while a guy gets called for targeting. It's a questionable call, and then he misses a whole half of that game and the half of the next game. Yeah. It's like way too much. Yeah. And then there's other times, like you're saying, where a guy really does something vicious, and it doesn't seem like enough. So. I kind of feel like it should be like the NFL would do, which is, okay, it happens. Maybe you get thrown out of the game Um, right then and there. But then in the week after, the league office looks at the video, some sort of committee of officials says, okay, I think Joe Tryon should be – should be uh, eligible or ineligible for the next game against USC. I I just don't think that you can just – with a blanket – rule on all of these hits it just feels like it's tough to tell people's intent if you've ever played defense you're just running as fast as you can to try to hit somebody in a different color jersey right you're not running at him going okay i'm gonna put my shoulder pad on his head or my helmet you just don't do it you just you're just running to clean it up i know so it's hard i know right (laughs) so it's hard to really talk about intent with these guys i kind of feel bad that that they have to miss a half of of another game washington state we talked about at the top (laughs) I hate to laugh, but they're they're in the Huskies' boat now. Like they thought they were going to go undefeated. It's funny because Washington State they're done. had a thirty-two point lead in the second half. Crazy, and the guy is thrown all over the field. In fact, I'm convinced that had the wide receiver not fumbled there at the end on the play from behind to give the ball back to UCLA with a chance to win, I'm convinced that they're going down for the tenth passing touchdown. Why wouldn't they? He had about a minute and a minute and a half, and the and the the clock stops on first downs. But everybody's saying like, well, they don't know how to run the ball, so they can't run any clock. And because they don't run the ball and run clock, a thirty-two point lead isn't safe with them like it is with other teams. And it's funny because when you look at the box score, that's not accurate. They had a running back who gained one hundred and twenty-five, one hundred and thirty yards okay. on the ground, so they can clearly still run the ball. I think their biggest problem, and I don't know if anybody cares about this. I think their biggest problem is they play with such tempo where they get up to the line so fast and they and they snap the ball with a lot of time left on the play clock and they just that when they get to a point where they've got a 32 point lead they don't know how which is strange because it's just as simple as okay quarterback don't snap wait to watch the yeah. clock wait let it get down to about 4 or 3 it's not in their DNA they have on or off they they don't have a dimmer they don't yeah. it's not in their d- DNA <laughs> to run some clock yeah and still be able to perform offensively. It's almost like Mike Leach thinks, okay, if we slow down, we're, we might as well be useless because we can't, we can't operate when we slow down. You've got to learn how to be able to go to the line of scrimmage like Matt Ryan does at the Falcons. It drives me crazy when they're ahead. He'll go to the line of scrimmage. He'll get up over the center, and then he steps away from the center, and they all yeah. stand. All the offensive linemen stand up, and he looks at the sideline, and he looks at the clock, and he goes 10, 9, 8. He waits till it gets about 3. Then they get back down. And Washington State doesn't know how to do that. If they knew how to do that, then 32 points might have been safe in the second half. <laughs> might have been. Yep. They gave up 50 in the second half. I was laying in bed, and it was like 11 o'clock, and the, the Cougar game was on. I, was, I thought it was a replay. I swear. I was like, this is kind of late. 
is this a replay? So I, I didn't stick with it because I was kind of busy all Saturday. Yeah. I didn't know if it already. Yeah. I wish I would have stayed up and watched it because they, they were killing them. Did Washington you see Gardner cool. Minshew or not? Did you see anything about Gardner Minshew? Uh, I, the, did he have jorts or mustache? It's always yeah, something Again, again, I'm going to prove how old I am here. I've never heard of the word jorts. I know what it now means. Jean shorts? Yeah. I'd never heard of the word jorts. When we were kids, it was they were called jean shorts. <laughs> right? I mean, cutoff. Or cut they were offs. called cutoffs. Cutoffs, yeah, yeah. I called them cutoffs. I called them cutoffs, yeah. But when we wore cutoffs, they were a little lower than the crotch area. I mean, th- those were like... <laughs> you can see the pocket hanging out underneath? Th- th- I mean, it, yes. <laughs> those were the shortest thing. And, and everybody was saying, how cool is Gardner Minshew? He's, look at what he's wearing. Look at his mustache. Look how cool. If you're... Honestly, if you were going with a bunch of buddies to a ball game or somewhere in the afternoon and one of your buddies showed up wearing what he was wearing, yeah. what would be the reaction? Yeah, they would say, uh, you need to go back in and put something else on there, <laughs> buddy boy. That's why you have to keep your high school friends in your life or people like that who are not afraid to tell you what's what. I don't think this guy, I, I don't think he's like making a statement. When, I, when he gets ready, it seems to me that when he gets ready to go to the game that day, like, he has no idea. Does he have any idea that what he's wearing people are going to laugh at? Or I think he likes is he, it. Is he making a statement like, I'm going to do this just yeah. to see if I can get some attention? Is he trying to get attention doing this? I think it's a little bit of attention. Oh, I think okay. just think he likes to be different. I mean, the, the mustache thing. No one was rocking a mustache two years ago like right. that. Now, right. you see lots of quarterbacks are starting to do it. But those shorts. Oh. He's, he's kinda, Th- those are the worst-looking shorts Awful. He, I've he, ever he seen. He cut them himself, too. He didn't, like, go by. No. Jean shorts or jorts. He cut those himself. Uh, Did you know he was at East Carolina at one point? He was the third string quarterback. I think he was at Al- Was he not at Alabama? I thought I read East Carolina. But yeah, I think he's been at four schools, three or four schools before he got to Washington State, two or three. I think he played for Nick Saban. I think at one point he was on, on Alabama's team. Well, the, he was on a podcast, and I didn't know there were other podcasts out there, by the way. That was interesting yeah. to find out. Yeah. Um, he was the third string quarterback. The second string quarterback on that team got moved to running back, and the first string quarterback got a concussion halfway through a game in week four. So he was forced to go in and play. But the problem was when he took the field, the redshirt option was out the window, and he was mad that he was going to blow an entire year of eligibility for 30 minutes of playing time. Yeah. So he realized the only way to get a year of eligibility back is to get a medical redshirt. So he said, this is his quote, I go home, I grab a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I grab a hammer. And I go back into my room. No. I take a pull of the Jack Daniels. I put my hand down on the table. And boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. I hit the hell out of my hand, dude. Like That's the left hand? The left hand. His throwing hand. His throwing hand. I assume. I don't know. Oh. Whatever one's I would do the out. left hand. I wouldn't do the right hand if you're the right-handed quarterback. But okay. But he said he continued to smash away another two he broke, times. He but, broke his hand. Well, that's what he says. He goes, I couldn't break my hand. I tried. I hit it another two times, but I failed with each attempt. This guy, I, he's not dealing with a full deck. Yeah. Well, there you go. That, I mean, that's a little insight into him, right? But how about how good he's been? He's been really good. It's great. First few weeks. I mean, he was like the ninth or tenth quarterback taken in the draft, like in the late, late, late rounds, and he's throwing throwing darts for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's like a he's like a sensation. Twenty five years ago, I got burned by quarterbacks who have one good year their rookie year, and his name was Rick Meyer, oh. who came out and lit the world on fire. So ever since then, I've his always number, been. His number's going to be retired. Rick Meyer. Yeah, three. Yes, it will. <laughs> Can you imagine the sort of ovation? You think of a Seahawk that'll get more of an ovation when, for like Ring of Honor at the stadium than Russell Wilson? Will there be anyone who will ever get a louder ovation than him? I mean, that you could think I, of. Aren't they all the same? Aren't all the great? Lo- I mean, Walter Jones. People are going to go more crazy for Russell. I think. I, th- I mean, 
they're going to go nuts for this guy. All right, guy. let's not retire him yet. He's still got work All to right, do. yeah, fair enough. He's still got work to do. I like I'm, – I'm on board with what you said about three podcasts ago. I just want you to know. Richard Newton. Oh, there you go, yeah. He looks like a real running back, doesn't he? He's the real deal. I'm, I'm on board with Richard Newton. I know he fumbled – on Saturday against BYU, but I've decided that I am completely on board, and, I've, and, and I'm, I'm going to take it a step further with you. He's a freshman. He's got, I think, five touchdowns already in his redshirt freshman year. I looked up, do you know who leads Washington in career rushing touchdowns? Oh, boy. Do you know who that is? I don't, but can I throw it's out? It's pretty a- obvious. You should don't, don't try to over-dissect it. It's pretty obvious. Napoleon Kaufman. No, not, not even close. Uh, not Corey Dillon. Let, let's just put it this way. The leader in career rushing touchdowns is 20 touchdowns ahead of second. That's how much of a landslide you I mean, you're, you're overthinking it. Miles Gaskin. Oh, yeah. Duh. 57 rushing touchdowns, and second is 37. Uh, I can get you who that is, but it's 37. Okay? Okay. I'm going to say it right now. I think R- Richard Newton. It's Richard, right? Richard Newton? I think it's Richard, yeah. Yeah, Richard Newton. I like the way he runs. He runs angry. He runs great between the tackles. I think he's going to be a really good goal line running back. Now, I don't know. If you tell me that he's going to go into the NFL after three years or something, then I take back everything I'm about to say. This is based on healthy right. and playing four years. He, if not the number one touchdown scorer in Washington history, he will be number two because there's a 20-touchdown a 20 difference between – one and two. That's how much I like wow, him. That's I, great. I, I'm, I'm on board with him. And I know that they didn't have Ahmed on Saturday. I, I think with McGrew and and this guy, Newton, I, I, they hardly missed him. I know that Ahmed gives them a different look, like yeah. a, a guy who can go wide and break it for 80 or 90. And, uh, he's, he's obviously the home run hitter yes. of, that, of that running back trio, if you want to make it a trio, maybe quadruple or whatever. I really – I think Newton is dependable – I like the way he runs. I think he can run wide, too, but I like him in between the tackles, and I think he's going to be a real – he's got five touchdowns this year. I think he'll have 10 or more his freshman year, and I think that he'll be either second or first. I'll say second on the all-time Washington touchdown scoring list before he leaves. What there about, you go. What about the – There's the, your prediction. The one tool we didn't talk about when he caught that pass for a touchdown. Didn't he catch a pass – yeah, like, yeah, He kept yeah. his feet in. Like, yeah. I, I was watching it on my computer, so I couldn't really see well. And I was like, what receiver was that? No, that was Richard Newton. That looked great. So he's got that tool as he's well. He's got that. And my, my Antonio Brown comment oh, of the week. We can't go. I was in Burbank driving around, and I saw your tweet. The world continues. Or you, the, the life continues. As, as, the, the, world- as the world turns or something? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, my God. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say what I said on 57P, which a lot of our listeners are not patrons, and why aren't you? Uh, I'll just say this, uh, the, the New England Patriots, if you read the big expose articles, there was one in The Athletic and there was one in Sports Illustrated. You know why they, they cut him, right? Was it the, I'm trying to keep this all straight. Yeah, it it's hard it, to keep straight. The text messages to the woman who was painting in his house? Correct. Okay. The woman in the, that was painting his house painting went, went to Sports Illustrated and told her story of the, the, the sexual harassment that she had to endure, and then he fired her when she wouldn't acquiesce to the sexual advances. And they wrote this big article, he, 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 based on her comments. He wasn't cut then. He, he played against the Dolphins. And then it, we found out that... Just when you thought that he couldn't be, he couldn't be more of a moron. Like he couldn't be more stupid. Yeah. He does a, a, just another stupid thing, which is he compounds it by sending a kind of a threatening group text to her after the article comes out yeah. in Sports Illustrated, 
and the NFL gets wins of it, the Patriots get wins of it, and and Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick said that's enough. That that, that text, that, that that threatening group text to her, he's done, and they cut him. Which I applaud, but I laugh at, and you know why I laugh at it. Robert Kraft, no, okay, because a week earlier, the text that came out oh. that he wrote to Brittany Taylor. Those are vile. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. He can play against the Dolphins. <laughs> right. Right. What's the difference? Yeah, you're What's right. What's the difference? No, no, I, I I'm think I, I almost you, like... I think they're worse. Yeah, right. They, they were worse. Right. The texts that came out that... that were public disclosure that came out that he wrote to Brittany Taylor a week earlier, the Patriots like, eh, he'll play against the Dolphins. Now they're outraged at these te- now this this is over the top. These texts are the reason we're cutting him, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you see him and uh, Shannon uh, Shannon Sharp getting into it? No. Ugh. This won't. This, I told you the Antonio Brown thing will not end. No. We're, we're going to talk about him every podcast. Well, he took shots on Sunday at Big Ben, didn't he? Well, yeah, and Shannon and so, Sharp was in on it. He was uh, he was one of them. Oh, he, okay. He was in there. And, yeah. He said, "I don't want to play football again. I don't even want to play in the NFL again." Didn't he say something like yes, that, Antonio? But I'm done with the NFL. I'm done with the NFL. I'm done with the NFL. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where he thinks he's going to go, but uh, Antonio tweeted out, Shannon Sharp, the funny guy on TV, still after this. And then he added a screenshot of a 2010 article about Shannon getting into something, right, you know, right, pulling up old right, stuff. Right, and, and so Shannon said, uh, uh, don't worry, I'll be bringing the ether on Monday's show. So he's going to probably let him have it on Monday. So we'll have, hey, something to talk about on 59. It's going to be awesome. Or 58P. <laughs> Jesus. God, it never ends this Antonio Brown thing. It is kind of fascinating, though, how a guy can. Was he the best receiver in the league last year? Going when he left. Uh, Pittsburgh? No, I wouldn't say he was the best receiver in the league. I think he was probably one of the top five receivers in the league okay. in Pittsburgh. And that was the. You asked a question. You asked a question, and a lot of people have asked questions about Colin Kaepernick on fifty-seven P. And people want to know. It's funny that Antonio Brown kept on getting chances, but Colin Kaepernick never got a chance. Yeah. And. Yeah, on its surface, you could ask that question and, and wonder why. But I think you just kind of answered why. Maybe you don't like it, the answer. But, you know, Antonio Brown, when he was getting chances by Oakland and by New England and by Buffalo and everybody else, he was one of the top one of the top playmaking wide receivers in the National Football League, still very much. Colin Kaepernick, when nobody was signing with his, signing him, and I think there was collusion involved, don't get me wrong, and he got, he got many millions of dollars for that collusion. I think there was collusion involved, but there was also another part to this, right? There was questions about how good of a quarterback he was, and did you want to bring him in and that circus to be a backup quarterback? Yeah. With Antonio Brown, the difference between Antonio Brown and Colin Kaepernick is – People viewed Antonio Brown, the Raiders viewed Antonio Brown, the Patriots viewed Antonio Brown as, okay, this is one of the best wide receivers in the league, so if he could just get his act together, he, he takes us to a new stratosphere. If he was whatever, whatever you consider Colin Kaepernick is, or was when no one would sign him, like a marginal starter, maybe a backup quarterback. If Antonio Brown was that as a receiver, the Patriots and all these teams wouldn't have been lining. He wouldn't have been worth the trouble at that point. Gotcha. So that's the difference between Antonio Brown and Colin Kaepernick. It's not fair, but it just is what it is. It is if, what it is. If Saquon Barkley had a circus around him, people would be giving him a chance? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let's turn it around the other way. If Colin Kaepernick was one of the best five or ten quarterbacks productivity-wise at the time that all this mess went down with his kneeling and everything else, he'd be in the NFL right now. If somebody could sign one of the top seven or eight or five or pro bowl level quarter level quarterback to take them to the next level. He'd be, he'd be playing. I just don't think anybody wanted to bring in kind of a backup ish 
type of guy. And you might say, okay, no, he's better than some of the starters. But okay, on crappy teams, yeah. does a crappy team who's going nowhere want to bring Colin Kaepernick yeah. in and do that? That, that? To me, that's the issue with him. All right. All right. Anything have, else on your list? Do you have a song stuck in your head by chance? Every? Yes. Is it from a commercial during no, Seahawks games? I can't fight this feeling oh, really? anymore. I like that song. I've forgotten what I started fighting for. Yes. On the Wings of Love oh, by Jeffrey Osborne. Oh. On the Wings <laughs> of Love. Only the two oh of us will. I mean, now you're starting to talk about songs that I recognize. Well, that's why I thought you may. Yeah, you're going to be like. I used, to, I used to play that on the piano. I still can. I can oh, go really? right out there right now oh. and play for you on the piano. That's I won't nice. do it. Yeah. It'd be a little uncomfortable. You don't like it? No. Well, no, it's. it's you could sit on the bench with me <laughs> while I play. <laughs> Extra uncomfortable. No, but it's in a commercial during Seahawks games. No, I didn't know that. Well, maybe it was loud where you were. Yeah, it was very loud. Every Sunday I got to hear On the Wings of Love, but I knew you would love that song. Oh, so. I love that song. Yeah, it's a good one. I got one. I final. can't fight this, but I'm telling you, nothing like Ario. When that song comes, I tweet it out every time it comes on. I sing that thing so freaking loud in my car when that song comes on. Lead singer of Ario Speedwagon. Name him. Oh, I have no idea. Kevin Cronin. I've seen him live. When I first started dating my wife, she bought me tickets to Styx, Journey, and Ario Speedwagon. We were just dating at the Gorge, and she rented two of those little low, low, uh, like lawn chairs that you sit yeah, in. They were metal. Yeah, she rented yeah, them. Yeah. And I leaned back and I bent it all the way back because I was 300 pounds and I'm laying flat on my back and I just yeah. destroyed one of the chairs she rented for me. <laughs> so I had to make the walk of shame back to the little hut to tell them their chair's malfunctioning a little bit. <laughs> Classic fat ass move. God, I was so embarrassed. All right, one last thing. Warren yeah, Moon. Yeah. You familiar with Warren Moon? You remember I, that I, guy? Yeah, Warren Harold Harold Warren Moon. That's Is that right? right? Yeah. Well, he he was trying to defend Don or he was coming after Donovan McNabb Donovan McNabb apparently is really campaigning to be in the Hall of Fame so I'm curious if you think Donovan McNabb should be in the Hall of Fame I know you watched him in college right yeah well I wasn't I wasn't in college with him he's much younger than I am yeah I'm a big Donovan McNabb fan okay and it's simply because he went to Syracuse if I if he didn't go to Syracuse I would have no opinion on this whatsoever, and I probably would have an anti-opinion and say, no, he was a good quarterback, but not. But since he went to Syracuse, I'm all about Syracuse alum being in the Hall of Fame. Warren's, I think every one of them should be in the Hall of Fame. Warren said, I just think when you start can- campaigning for this, it's not a good look. I don't know why Warren felt like he needed to chime in about Donovan McNabb. Well, maybe do, Warren wants to be heard. Do you, well, that's true. He's not heard anymore. No, he? maybe he wants to be heard. Yeah. But do you think Donovan should be in? I mean, forget the Syracuse. Do you think he's a good enough well, NFL quarterback? I, I think at first blush, without looking, when you ask me a question like that, I, I'd say to you typically, let me look it up and yeah. let me look, let me. Just kind of from what you remember. I, I really, I hate to say this, but I, I view him as a really good, but not Hall of Fame quarterback, but a really good one, a really good NFL quarterback. But he didn't win championships. Yep. And. Well, we don't go down that road with as a Dolphins fan. Well, Okay. I know. The, the numbers speak for themselves okay. for him. I, okay. I, I got you. I got let's you. Not, let's not go, oh, <laughs> let's not need to be drug tested on the way out. Right. Okay. Donovan McNabb was really what, – what people don't know about Donovan McNabb that I remember is that Donovan McNabb – do you know what else he did in college? Was he lacrosse? Played for Jim Beheim on oh, the Syracuse basketball team. That's interesting. I didn't know that. People don't remember that about him. And I believe I saw him play in a few kind of these early season games. I saw him get in for a few minutes here and a few minutes there. I watch. I obviously watch very closely. Nobody cares about this, so I don't even know why no, I'm, I mean, I'm wasting your time with this. Bulky though, Did he, he was bulky. bulky out there? He'd come out late because football season or whatever, and yeah. so he never really played any kind of a. It, it wasn't like Tony Gonzalez at Cal, who played good men. Austin Safarian Jenkins at Washington. Uh, Beheim kind of refused because he was a football player to really play him. Yeah. 
but he'd come out there in like with like five minutes to go in a game that was wrapping up, and he would do very well. He looked like he belonged. Interesting. Yes, I believe that. That's interesting. I, I, I feel like, and it goes back to when I played. Uh, when I played, <laughs> did I just say what I played? You sure did. When yeah. I was You're there, thinking about piano again. There's actually a story when I was there. I've told this story on the old radio show a couple times. Do you remember the receiver Rob Moore? Yes. For the Arizona Cardinals, yep. he was kind of like a, a a beautiful athlete, like a deer. He was like six four, six five, thin. Yep. He was a really, good, I would say, a good wide receiver in the NFL. He was also a wide receiver at Syracuse, just another one of the great ones. And when I was there, and I remember, this is in the days, you know, I'm about to uh, on, say something on. that you know, this is in the days of like Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Cycli, Stevie Thompson, Billy guys. Owens, yeah. Derek Coleman. I mean, this oh. is the day and age I had a Derek where they, jersey, when they had, when they had NBA guys all yeah. up and down that roster. And I remember going to Manly Fieldhouse, which is where they worked out. They played in the dome, but they worked out at Manly Fieldhouse, and they were playing a pickup game one day, and I was in Manly Fieldhouse. And I went in there and I watched these guys playing a pickup game. And, and it was all the guys. And I was looking at them. And I was like, who's this guy I don't recognize that's like, I don't want to say dominating, but he was scoring at will against Syke Lee and Stevie. And it was Rob Moore. Oh, is that right? It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And you just wonder, it made me wonder, how many of these great football player athletes, if, yeah. if, the, if the coach really would embrace – see, the coaches don't embrace that. They don't want that. The football p- coach doesn't want them playing basketball. Yep. The basketball coach doesn't want them coming out late for right. basketball. So you're it, never, in it, it never really, really – like yeah. Nate Robbins, never really, really works out. But if, like, Rob Moore decided, like, the next day to quit football. He was an All-American football player and just play basketball. He would have been a starter on the Syracuse basketball team. That's amazing. That's how good he was. That's how good he was. I once heard the Boz, my buddy, say that the football team would always want to scrimmage the basketball team at Oklahoma, and sometimes the football team would beat them. So, yeah, there probably are a lot of good athletes who love football, yeah. maybe just more than basketball. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't yeah. get to hear much of the game. Does Tony Romo? Did you hear Tony Romo at all during the I, game? I saw. I couldn't. Right. I couldn't. I was at. I was in Linwood. I, I don't know why he was annoying me. His voice was kind of gravelly. In his whole Skechers. Is it the Skechers commercials? Doesn't he wear Skechers? Yeah, I, I don't know. But his whole at the pre- airports predict the play thing. It's people love that. Not when the team's losing. I'll tell you, it was really bothering me for some reason. His whole routine was kind of okay. wearing thin on me. But can't you can't respond. speak to that. I can't. Can I, all right. All right. I, I'm out of stuff. I have to. Derek Thomas or Jack Lambert. It, we've done both before, right? Do you think they're deserving of a of a duel, or does it have to be one? It's your show. It's your rules. <laughs> Episode Jack Lambert. I hate to do it because I I view well. Episode Jack Lambert. Are you you're basing it on the the four Super Bowls and well, there's four Super Bowls. I I view Derek Thomas as one of the greatest pass rushing kind of defensive end linebackers of all time but I didn't view in terms of a complete football player he wasn't he wasn't Lawrence Taylor he wasn't I think Jack Lambert was a better all-around football player all right I can I can live with that you want me to go Derek Thomas because because of Paul Scancy and Dave Craig or no it's okay you might be right go with Jack Lambert. episode Jack Lambert is in the books